when it comes to the nipple to help, I actually do spit on it. Just a little bit of spit <laughs> on it, and uh, oh, it slides man. right in. Yep. <sighs> that, that, actually, though, I do spit on it. It works. is episode 32 i'm nick standing in for dan again this week but we got just about a full house we're missing one that's right our wounded warrior is uh he's in cancun or the bahamas or some shit so i think the heart attack is all just a sham no Mm -hmm. really this was about a long caribbean vacation and avoiding the podcast but uh seriously we hope dan's having a great time it's uh well deserved that uh Ian Elaine are off someplace warm. But other than that, we got a full house. We got uh, Scott with us this week. hey Back from the land of technical difficulties, fortunately. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, we got Rob with us. Yes, we do. And uh, we got Devin. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yo, what's up? <laughs> yo. All right. My God. We got a full house this week, like I said, other than Dan. So looking forward to diving in in a little while to our main topic that we have postponed more than any other main topic in the history of uh, version three anyway uh, nitro part two is up tonight uh, which i'm really excited about because i have lots of questions uh, for the guys i still haven't started my build because i've been waiting on this episode to ask all those questions so uh, looking forward to that but uh before we get uh, too far with that let's uh let's dig into some weeks why don't we uh why don't we start with scott since we uh we haven't heard from you in a little while well hang on if we're going to talk nitro who's our guest tonight who's our guest yeah, who's going to teach us all about Nitro? Well, Devin's going to start, and then you're going to tell him why he's wrong. Oh, shit, we're in so much trouble. Ooh. Wow, I'm wrong. You guys yeah. got to keep your act together here, because Nick has a helicopter he's trying to put in the air. So, mm. <laughs> you know what? I think Nick should do the episode. Yeah, whoever gives me bad advice gets the burnt-out engine mailed to them. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, so I'd like to apologize in advance, and I would like to offer a full refund of your purchase price of this episode. <laughs> With any information that seems bullshit. I'm down. Nice. I'm down. <laughs> Sounds oh, about right. Yeah, my bad. Anyway, uh, I have done probably nothing helicopter related, except I got a new kit in the mail. Hey, I opened kit. it up, Ooh. put the canopy on my head like you're supposed to do, put it back in the box, and I'm going to save it for working on maybe later this week. I just didn't have time over the weekend. I've been trying to get ready for my mother-in-law coming into town. So, you know, cleaning the house, getting the room ready, all that stuff. Yeah, you got to clean up like you're moving or something when mother-in-law's coming. Yeah. So we're almost there. Um, I was literally power vacuuming and cleaning bathrooms before I logged on. I had like two minutes left when I was finishing up the last bathroom. Did you wash your hands? (laughs) But uh, yeah, I got the kit. It's a Tron 90 Nitro, the Nitron. That'll be kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, 
It's my first Tron, never had one before. So I, someone's going to hate me for this and they're going to give me a ton of shit for it. I'm sorry, don't write me hate mail. I'm pulling all the electronics and engine out of my <laughs> Synergy N7 to, <laughs> to put inside of a Tron. <laughs> oh, God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Don't you have to but, at least pull them out and leave them out for like two weeks before you can put them in the Tron? Yeah, just let them forget where they came from. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know that whole thing simmered down and no one hates each other anymore, I don't think. But um, yeah. it just feels wrong. So... It's happening, though. I'm doing it because I can get replacement parts for the Tron, and I can keep my N7s nice on the shelf in one piece until maybe something happens and maybe we can buy parts, because I do love that N7. It's one of my favorite helicopters, and I wouldn't mind keeping it in perfect shape, so that's what we're doing. Nice. You like a smart man. That's cool. Yeah, and I still have a black nitro I need to build. Like, brand new engine in the box, brand new electronics, all sitting there waiting for a Neo. Soon, very soon, real soon. soon. Yeah, but then I'm going to be flying all nitro this season. I figured I'm going to see if I can last the entire season nitro. Hmm. I give you two weeks. Okay, maybe not. I give me one and a half, maybe three. Top. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, until SAP releases some other 700 electric, then I'm in trouble. <laughs> oh well, that'll be next week. No color <laughs> schemes don't count, buddy boy. <laughs> mm, I see. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about this later, but I think Align's given SAB a run for their money this year. Oh, dude, they're coming out with so much stuff. I can't wait to talk about it in the news. <laughs> it's like weekly at this point. Yeah. They can barely keep up with the upgrades. <laughs> oh, God. Cool <laughs> upgrades. Uh, anyway, that's all I got. Devin, what do you got? I'm about in the same boat. It rained all weekend. So, um, yeah. It was very nice. It was like probably 65 degrees but raining so i uh i just worked on my car all weekend yeah right on hang on i'm confused i thought you had a truck you have a car too no sorry truck yeah same thing no it's not the same thing like not at all <laughs> it's close <laughs> enough <laughs> it just weighs like six thousand pounds more it's fine it, it's all right but jack's yeah. twice as big but whatever now yeah, um let's just stay at home mom every vehicle uh, the same to you no 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 that's my dad um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Your dad it's, seems smart. I feel uh-oh. like your dad knows the difference between his ass and a turbo encabulator. <laughs> Let's not get started on a turbo encabulator now. Jesus. <laughs> That's the best video to ever exist. Oh, 100%. Um, <laughs> no, so I spent the weekend putting airbags on my truck. So it now has airbags on it to help support the weight of my trailer because uh, now that my truck is all ready and set up and most of the mechanical stuff is ready to go, I'm just waiting on one more thing that comes this week and it'll be ready to go. I decided to put the trailer on the back of the truck and it put the leaf springs on the bump stops. Oh, I thought thought you meant airbags so you can crash the shit. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I got air ride suspension, basically. Oh, and so you can like go down the street like Vato and do, 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 bouncing up and down go. the street? Kind of, a little bit, right? Okay. Like, okay. But That's it's, um, no, I put my trailer on the back of the truck, and even though it's a 3,500, so it's a one ton, it still put the bump, the leaf springs on the bump stops. So um, I made the decision, and I was like, well, I guess I need airbags to help support the weight. So I went out and bought 5,000-pound airbags, and 
now I just got to put my truck on the trailer and see how it does. It Damn. should be good. How did with you like, lift them? What? <laughs> Your truck is a lift them up to put them in the truck. Now that. That's what they're rated for, 5,000 pounds. Oh. <laughs> hang on, your truck is a one-ton? Yeah. I have a 3,500, so it's a one-ton. So I got the airbags in. I got an exhaust gas temperature gauge put in it, so I could watch that while I am towing to see how hot it gets. And I'm waiting on my brake controller for the trailer, because my truck, for some reason, does not have one in it. So I have to put that in. And then we're good for towing. And we're going to tow my 30-foot trailer to Spring Fling with my truck. So Nice. Yeah, should be good. Nice little short ride. Not too long. I was really hoping to see you there. Where? Spring Fling. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, but your shit's going to break down. You're not going to get there now. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's No, no, no. I don't drive a Ford. We're good. <laughs> oh, oh, good grief! <laughs> That's better. You know, I gotta tell you, Devin, you are not selling truck ownership. Like, there is nothing that sounds like, oh man, I really need a truck. When every week you're talking about something else, you got to bolt on there to make it useful. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's to make nothing, it usefuler. Huh? More use, more usefuler. Yeah, that right. It's more usefuler. Before it was just use. Now it's useful. Yeah, use usefuler. You got to add the er, be more proper, Rob, you know, like. Yeah, you fuller. Yeah, make your broken English sound even worse. Usefuler. It's the fuller. <laughs> yeah. All right, what you got to pack uh, everything to the back. Oh, wait, then it'd be like just slithering down the road, down the highway. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm we'll thinking. Put it all in the back. Uh, hopefully, maybe before some of the big events come up, I can get the golf cart that we have done because we're putting some new stuff on that as well, so I could put that in the back of the trailer and bring that with us. There you go. That'll help with the weight a little bit. I bet those airbags will do just fine, though. Yeah, those airbags, usually like around like 60 to 70 PSI in the airbags, and it sits perfectly level, so... <laughs> Devin pulling into the flying field, he's going to pop the airbags going over. No, no, they're rated right, for right, 100 right. PSI. We're good. Uh, enough about truck repair. What about helicopters? You do anything helicopter <laughs> related? Right? I didn't mention a single RC car, you dickhead. And here well, you go, going uh, off topic. Uh, well, I mentioned a full-size car, so get one up. <laughs> well, truck. <laughs> helicopters. <laughs> helicopters. No, no, no. I didn't. It rained. Nothing. Yeah, no, no, no. no parts for the flash yet? I mean, they're ordered. <laughs> okay. I got them ordered last week. Oh, so that's good. Hopefully they're on the way so I could get both of them flying again. Which we will see. Do you have um, one in the air right now? No. Okay. okay. I need to say something. I'm sorry. Luca, if you're listening to this, please make Devin a special canopy for his Oxy Flash <laughs> that says Oxy Crash. Just go with it appropriately. <laughs> No, you know, I don't Devin, have. I, I feel like I, I know some people think the slogan Luca made up for the Flash was about his illness, but I think it was about your flying. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> indestructible. <laughs> it is indestructible, unless you, you like do something stupid, like forget to put on a ball link or hit the ground really hard, or just hand the helicopter to Devin, and there you go. Boom! Stress it's, test. It's got a you know like. You know, a 60-40 shot of coming back in one piece, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it'll, they'll be repaired just in time to die at Spring Fling. No, they won't die at Spring Fling. They, they, that's, why, that's why I have two. 
Wow. Yeah, maybe one will die, but if one if one gets broken, then you're like, all right, I only got one left. Like, calm down a little bit, and then, you know, when you get to the end of the weekend, like Saturday afternoon, is when you start, yeah, beating on it again. Then you're nah, good. Dude, blow them all in Thursday. <laughs> uh, my name's not Scott Graham, all right? <laughs> no, no, I've seen I've seen Scott blow in some hell. I get there and Scott's already got a pile of parts like fucking ten feet tall. Like, what happened? Oh, I just crashed five helis in like an hour. It's hell okay. Yeah. I only got one left, and then he crashes it at night. <laughs> He's got to offer up all the hel- all the shit to the heli gods right away. Oh yeah, he yeah. does good like that though. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's gonna be me when I go. Just watch, <laughs> Rob. Yeah. Watch, watch me do this. <laughs> Shit. Yep. Yeah. So, but my week wasn't. I didn't uh, have as much fun with my truck as you because I I don't have a truck. I have a Jeep. It's kind of a truck, but I haven't had to do anything to it at all. So I'm not gonna talk about that. I'm gonna talk about RC helicopters. Um, I flew my RC helicopter a few times. Actually, probably like eight eight times on the Goblin here this last week, which was fun. Um, getting a little bit better because I've been flying in the sim all winter, right? So I got really used to how the rates are set up in there. And um, I haven't, you know, a lot of people will try and set the sim up to be just like the other, hel- the real helicopter, you know, to try and get it to be as close. And I just didn't do any of that. So it's a little bit different. I mean, the, the generally speaking, you move the sticks in the same spot, you know, but when you get your own heli out there, if it's not the same, it feels different, you know? And so I've been getting more used to my helis and I don't know, just having a good time being able to, uh, something I noticed with the Goblin of my SAB 570 is like, it's got an incredible amount of bite, you know, like positive and negative pitch. Right. So I had to like relearn that whole collective control on that one because it's just so much more touchy around center. But now that I'm getting my thumbs dialed in, I can kind of park it in like a 30-foot area and, you know, flip it over, do some pyro stuff, do do small things just kind of in that spot. And it feels good. It's cool. Um, but uh, the snow is slowly melting. So here I'm thinking in probably a couple of weeks, I'll have some green space that I can actually fly out in the park in some green space. So I can't wait for that, man. Tell you what. but. Uh, Speaking of parts, uh, my finger is hovering over this, uh, Nick, a couple of episodes back. We talked about, you put that link out about that uh, Rotor Flight FBL from AliExpress. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of thinking yeah. about buying that sucker, dude. And, do uh, it. Yeah, I think I might have to do that and then jump in and figure that sucker out, man. That looks, I don't know, now that we've got a full-fledged flight controller, it'd be cool to see other manufacturers make some too. like. I mean, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't bought something from AliExpress in a long time, and I'm sure I'll end up getting the thing I'm supposed to get. You know what I'm saying? But I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. It's like 89 bucks, and shipping's free, so it's not like it breaks the bank a ton. But uh, so I don't know. Stay tuned here. At some point, I'll end up getting one of them, and I'm gonna put it in. I don't know which helicopter I'm gonna put it in yet, but uh, probably take y'all's advice and put it in something I know already works. You know, with a different flight controller and shit like that, and then. Uh, Try to crash it. No, try not to crash it. That's what I mean. Um, but uh, what else did I do? Nothing. Just flew my helicopters around and simmed. Flew the little shitty MP- MCPX around in the living room the other night, which was kind of fun and hard because uh, it's super, you know how it is when something's really sloppy in the controls, you know? Yeah, that's kind of my week. 
pretty tame and regular. Now that the the spring is starting to come, I mean, it's not here, you know, it's northern Minnesota, so I still have like three feet of snow in my front yard, you know what I'm saying? But I'm thinking, yeah, dude, I'm thinking within the next month or so, a good chunk of that'll be gone because it's supposed to just stay above freezing regularly now, so that's good. So, yeah, dude, I'm all done with cabin fever. Cabin fever's not done with me, but I am so done with it, so... You're just going to hear me hoping for spring until it hits. I don't blame you, dude. I'm, I feel bad. I complain about Atlanta winters, so <laughs> yeah. I don't know how yeah. you do it. I don't know, man. It's tough, but I just, I don't, well, whatever, man. I, I've lived here for like 20-something years, you know, so even though every year I bitch and moan about the winter and the cold and stuff, I still get through it, and I'll fly my helis out there, and I'm not going to lie, most of the time when I'm flying out over the drifts of snow and shit in my backyard i'm thinking oh this is great but if i have a mechanical failure i'm gonna have to sprint out there and like dive into the snow and dig my heli out of the snow and shit but that hasn't happened yet so knock on wood i guess you know but i just i play it safe i'm sure i'm going to be smacking it pretty hard you know when it gets to spring and it's just dirt and grass underneath me you know and i'll probably have some crash stories to come but i've been keeping it pretty tame lately you know yeah well, don't worry, do. the next time you drive one in on concrete, you'll be wishing there were three feet of snow instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, this is true. Yeah, this is true. So that's all I got for my week. Right on. Well, I had a, uh, a good week. Uh, this was the second week in a row I was home, which in the first quarter of the year is uh, rare for me that I get two weeks in a row at home. So uh, I was definitely enjoying that. So a bunch of stuff happened. The first is that... Uh, I know I talked last week about ordering that scale fuselage from uh, HeliDirect in the new line of uh, Fusano and uh, Funky uh, canopies that they're stocking. Is it Funky? Maybe I got that wrong. Anyway, so I had a chance to play with that. I should be like getting ready for the Nitro Raw build, but the, the scale fuselage is like the new shiny thing in the workshop. So I've been tinkering <laughs> with that. So I ordered a light system and I got that installed this week. So, you know, I'm kind of trying to figure out the layers of things i want to install in the the scale bird so starting with the lights i ordered I, well i should say i took one look at the electronic or excuse me the mechanical retracts that came with it and was like yeah no i'm not messing with that uh, <laughs> i was like i'll never get that to work correctly i'm just bad at that so i ordered uh, some cheap electronic retracts uh so i can play with those and like I said, I ordered the rest. Of, I ordered a four blade head for it, which I think I mentioned last week. But that'll hopefully be in, so I can get that maidened on the Nimbus, and then you know, want to get all the the mechanics kind of checked out first. So I don't know. I've been tinkering with the scale helicopter. Uh, is, is the fun part for that? I started gluing some like rare earth magnets on the canopy to make some removable hatches and stuff. So Dude, that's, uh, that's been fun, though. honestly. And the nice part yeah. about a scale heli is that it's just a different pace of building. I feel like on a regular helicopter, you're you're like you set an objective if you only have two hours to work at night that you're gonna try and like crank out the head or crank out the tail and the boom and and something else. You know, I feel like it's a much faster pace. Whereas the scale helicopter, you can stare at the lights for like two hours and install nothing. You're just brainstorming yeah. as to what you're gonna do and how you're gonna glue it and where you're gonna run the wire. So it's just a very slow, no pressure pace. Which is stupid, right? Like, who puts pressure on you to build a helicopter? Nobody but yourself. But yet, somehow I do. So, I don't know. The scale bird is relaxing, is my point. It's been fun to sort of just slowly think about. Fun as hell to just look at. Too. Yeah, I do a lot of that. <laughs> Sitting yeah. in the workbench, staring at the helicopter. 
Uh, Just think how relaxing it's going to be when you maiden it too. Like no pressure, no fear, just hovering or no, actually you'll be shitting bricks in case it explodes. I don't know, man. I mean, I think honestly, since I'm going to maiden the mechanics outside of the bird, I'll feel fairly confident when I shove it in the bird. It should be all right. Yeah. Maybe just a little heavier feeling or whatever, but. I tell you what, though, yeah. the pictures that you um, shared look really nice, dude. I can't wait to see, like, better beauty shots of it as you're putting it together, because I've always been a fan of the scale thing, and it's really cool that you got one. And I'm surprised the detail is, like, a lot more detail than I expected, because you were saying it's, like, a fun scale, right? And sometimes yeah. there's not as much detail in the fun scale stuff. Yeah, yeah I mean, really there's good. not, like, rivets on it, but there's panel lines, and the paint job's really nice. And yeah. I can't remember, I lose track of what I've mentioned on the show, but Brian Birdsong and I, he ordered, he jumped on them as well and ordered one. So he and I did an vi- unboxing video together where we both unboxed our scale fuselages together. And so I was actually working on the edit of that uh, tonight, just before we started recording. But uh, nice. so that'll come out soon. And uh, the two of us were just like little schoolboys, all giddy about it. So it was fun. Nice. All I'm saying, if Heli Direct comes out with a 700 size Airwolf, I'm in trouble. Because I'm going to buy it. <laughs> I saw the 600 and I'm like, nah, nah, too small. But if there's a 7 at the beginning, whoo-wee. It could happen. I, I don't have any intel on that, but it could happen. Does it have little inflated rubber tires or foam tires or what's on that? I don't think I've taken the tires out of the bag, to be honest with you. So I haven't squeezed them yet. <laughs> Couldn't yeah, tell you. Do, you. Sure. I think they're probably foam. Some tells me when you land a heli that's going to be on the retracts, there's going to be this like satisfying like bloop. Where it just kind of plops down into the <laughs> into the retracks, versus like landing on a set of skids, you know. I hope well, the way I land, and then one retract will collapse, and then the rotor will hit the dirt, and then <laughs> oh, <no>. massive <laughs> canopy strike followed by tears. <laughs> hey, just get that in two hundred and forty frames a second. We can slow it down and make it look like a real heli having a crash on the deck. But the good news is, instead of just two blades hitting the fuselage, there's four. <laughs> Oh yeah, more carnage. They just it fits in a smaller box when you're done. Yeah, twice the damage. That's the other fun project is the advice from the scale guys about how do I get four blades perfectly balanced and all that and painted was don't worry about four matched, get two pairs that are matched and mount them opposite each other and then paint them and then you balance them with the paint. So basically you try and do the paint really evenly across the blades, get your stripes on there and then use a clear coat to balance the blades. So just put a little extra clear in the tips or whatever until you get them. So yeah, yeah, there you go. I'm sure I'm going to screw that up. <laughs> that's uh, well, that's the most anxiety of the build is getting the blades right and like balanced and, and getting it maidened on the mechanics and knowing that's good. Yeah. Dude, that first four blades spool up. That's going to be a, a, a pucker factor of like 11. Yeah, but again, the good news is is that if something goes wrong, it, you know, the fuselage is not at risk here. It's just the mechanics, so. Yeah, true. That helps. Uh, but outside of the scale bird, I did get to fly twice this past week, uh, both at Atlanta RC, which has been lovely and quiet until the end of the week when things went south, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, so I got in a few flights uh, with a couple of guys at Atlanta RC, mostly on the RAW 580, but I brought the Logo 700 out the other day, as well as my RAW 3 blade. And you know, it's funny, the, the RAW 3 blade I flew, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and we were just totally gelling. Like, I was feeling super connected to it, was flying it way lower, being way more adventurous with it, because I usually baby that heli. 
But I don't know, the other day, it was the opposite of that. I was not feeling super connected to it. I was very shaky on it, and it showed. The helicopter was fine. It was all my fault. But I don't know, so that was funky. So I was not thrilled about that. But otherwise, it was some good flying. Um, And mostly, it's just finally warmed up in Atlanta. So I flew in like 60 degrees one day and 70 the other, and that was amazing. Sorry, Rob. So jealous. I'm in in Philadelphia today for the rest of this week, so no more flying uh, this week until maybe the weekend. But uh, annoyingly, even though Atlanta RC has been very quiet, the protesters have still been doing their things at the construction site and in the woods. So the county of DeKalb basically pulled some weird law out of the books uh, that basically said they've made the woods unsafe, therefore it's a public safety hazard, and they closed uh, all of the woods and all of these different parcels of land. And Atlanta RC is divided across two land parcels, one of which is affected by the closure, the other is not, so we don't know if we can fly, so the club is playing it safe and saying no, but the police basically arrest anyone on site for trespassing because of this new law as soon as you walk on the field. So yeah. we are off the field indefinitely until we get clarification uh, from the county, which is a pain in the ass. So that's ah. unfortunate. So more stupid people Sh- ruining our fun. Yeah, shenanigans, man. That's so dumb. Dude, uh, you know what? Maybe I, I tell you what, if it's on two plots of land, right? It might be a blessing to just leave it. And if the cops are treating them both as the same like thing, because if it's like the border, you guys are liable to get a whole bunch of them miscreants just parking on like half your field, not crossing the line, just like teasing the cops and shit. That would suck. Yeah. And honestly, we have a really good relationship with the law enforcement around the field. And they've actually had a big presence there. Like when I went flying the other day, there were, as I was driving around the field to get to the entrance, there were three cruisers I passed and waved at all the officers to thank them. So, nice. uh, you know, we're very friendly with them. Um, because we appreciate their protection, <laughs> for lack of a better word. So we'll see. We just want something in writing from the county so that when an overzealous you know, officer tries to arrest someone for flying an airplane, we can say, actually, no, it's okay. We're protected. So we'll see. Yeah, word. Uh, we'll, we'll get all that worked out, hopefully, but that's going to take a while. So no more flying close to home, back to driving 45 minutes to go fly. But uh, it is what it is. But uh, with that... Anybody else got any, uh, anything they've been up to before we head into the news? Nope. All right. Let's do some news. The news is arrived. Nice and simple. I like it. All right. So we're going to get through the news kind of quickly this evening um, so we can get to the good stuff. But uh, so kind of just a bunch of rapid fire updates. And I'm sure we'll spend a little more time on some than others, as always. So first up, Scorpion Motors has posted since the Dubai Masters that Nick Maxwell actually won it on a prototype motor from Scorpion. Uh, No word on the specs of this motor, uh, but we'll obviously be on the lookout for it and... Probably just ask the man himself. Uh, not next week, but the week after. Nick Maxwell is uh, scheduled to come on the podcast and uh, share some information about his win, the gear he was flying, uh, the new JR servos and FBL that he won to buy Masters and took second at Rotor Live with. So uh, we'll just ask Nick about it directly in a couple of weeks. Yeah, he'll have all the deets on that cool-ass gear. 
This one I want to get out of the way and then move beyond for a while. So more news from Mikado. Honestly, as fast as we release the news from Mikado, it seems to become obsolete before I even get a chance to edit and publish the episode, even with a weekly podcast. You know, last week I released an update about when the hardware was expected in the United States, and then they pushed it back between the time we recorded on Monday and published on Thursday. So here's the deal. This is the last update I'm doing on Mikado products, um, not in general, but on the, the Neo Evo and the V-Control Evo. So unless something earth shattering happens, I'm just not doing any more updates. You can find them all at V-Bar Control. Honestly, you're probably all tired of hearing me talk about it. I'm tired of talking about it. Um, we all know they're coming soon. So the next time I talk about this on the news is going to be when the things are released and we have them in our hands. Okay, with that, here's the last round of updates. More good news. The FCC has now approved both the V-Control Evo transmitter and the Neo Evo FBL. So we're good to go from the FCC perspective. Uh, second, Mikado is now going to supply a thicker FBL mounting tape with the Neos. This changes the thickness of the tape uh, from 1.2 millimeters to 2 millimeters. Uh, the reason for this is the new FBLs can be extremely sensitive to vibrations, and the thicker tape has definitely helped with that. From the field, we've heard some mixed results on this. It seems to be, to some extent, mo model-specific, and you know, some helicopters have some resonances at different head speeds where this can become more apparent than others. You know, I know, for example, there's a bunch of F uh, SAB models running the Evo that are just fine without the thicker tape. I know that some of the XL Power models have really benefited from the thicker tape, so it's kind of model-dependent. That said, there's no harm in using the 2mm tape just as a, as a broad swath. And actually, speaking of that, I want to give a quick shout out to Alex Dean and uh, Doug Darby. Uh, you know, I know they've been working on that metal case for the Neo, but they've also been doing some testing together on a variety of helicopters, nitros, gassers, electrics, and putting some great little videos up on Alex Dean's YouTube channel. Be sure and check those out. Those have been kind of fun to watch as they test both servo uh, refresh rates and uh, center pulse settings and uh, also play with some of the tape and the metal case and not metal case so anyway they played with the tape a little bit too so don't stress about that one it's kind of model dependent all right Mikado usa should i quote should receive all pre-order inventory no later than april 15th so hopefully by april 15th Mikado usa has the parts in stock <clears throat> and can start shipping them out but that's it. I'm tired of talking about it. You're not going to hear from me again until I say, I got the shipping notification from Mikado USA. Okay, that's it. We're done. Fair We're enough. free of E-Control News. <laughs> We're all tired of it. That <laughs> <sighs> feels good to say. I'm done. All right. Moving on to other subjects. Super X connectors have now announced that their D6 right angle connectors and panel mount connectors that we mentioned some time ago are now in stock and ready to be shipped. So if you've got a charge case build or another application waiting for one of these, they should be in stock at your favorite retailer. And in other news, if uh, 8S batteries are your jam, Pulse Batteries announced a new 41 milliamp 50C 8S battery meant specifically for uh, the Puma, RAW 580, Tron 5.8, or any of these other 600 size helicopters or light 700s. Ooh. Uh, so it's nice to see, you know, Maniacs has been doing this too. Uh, you know, releasing these new batteries in a variety of sizes and cell counts. So good for them for catching up uh, with all the new stuff coming out. Speaking of lightweight 700s, we now have an ETA on the flash. But correct me if I'm wrong, Devin. But uh, it seems like the best guess I've heard 
is that uh, early April, we should start to see these arrive in warehouses in the United States. Uh, hopefully for Devin's sake, parts follow that very closely, uh, and then he can get his uh, dirt magnets back in the air again. Yes. Yeah, no, that sounds about right. I know um, dirt magnets. The first, the first batch has been sent out to for pre-orders from Luca directly. He's working on a second batch as we speak. And yeah, hopefully parts follow after that. And then, you know, once the batches are out, per, just straight production to get to the warehouses. So, Word. Nice. Cool. So here, here comes the train. Yep. It's good to see. It's a big deal that Oxy is, you know, shipping again with a new kit. So it's good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, miniature aircraft have decided to throw away boom supports and join the rest of us, at least for some models initially. So they announced some new landing gear struts and a new boom for the Fury 57 Nitro, uh, which now no longer needs boom supports. So it's nice to see them upgrade this, uh, or update rather, this tried and true design. And uh, actually also from miniature aircraft, so I've been chatting with Angel Rojas, who's been getting me some further clarification and information about the miniature aircraft news after Rotor Live. And uh, I got some more tidbits for you. So all of this is still to be flushed out. And, you know, we'll figure out um, as we get closer to release more details on the specific individual models. But here's some kind of broad strokes. So we talked about the new Sakura line of helicopters expected late this year from miniature aircraft. So we now know it's going to consist of an electric, a nitro, a gasser, and a turbine engine version. So this is going to be split across two product lines. One for a pod and boom designs, and the other meant to fit into a full fuselage. Now, the full fuselage will either be uh, for F3C or in their 7 to 800 size scale fuselages. I don't know. Maybe they have an Airwolf. I haven't looked. Uh, the fuselage versions will support options like different tail gear ratios, uh, the Starflex three-blade heads, and the pod and boom versions, and this is cool, will have both belt or torque tube options available, which is cool. So if you're a torque tube guy, you can get one in that style. If you prefer belts, you can get one in that style. Uh, and they will also support either stick packs or saddle pack batteries, which is pretty cool. So the first of these we expect to see released will be the Electric Impulse F3C, so the Fuselage F3C Precision Flying Bird, and the Electric 3D Pod and Boom models. Uh, stay tuned for more info on that as we learn more details. Uh, I did also ask Angel about that new rotor head. I said I really would love to understand more about the design and get some sort of explanation as to you know why the design decisions were made. Because... It's very unique, and I just, I don't know, just fascinated by it. I would like to learn more about it. So uh, we're working on that. So stay tuned for more information on that. Okay. Lastly, our last bit of news for this week is that Align has announced yet another new helicopter. It seems that they spent the last few years designing all of them and are just going to shoot their entire heliwad in one month-long spurt. Align announced... <laughs> entire heliwad... <laughs> In That's where all the white stuff went. See, it only only made it to the first helicopter. Oh. <laughs> so Align announced the TB40 electric helicopter. So ah. this is fitting in the now crowded 380 to 420 millimeter uh, blade length space built by Goose Guy, OMP, SAB, XL Power. Uh, so no other real details on it yet beyond it has an 8 millimeter main shaft, uh, 380 to 420 blades. And it follows the same look as the other 
uh, TM models in the line. It does not have the white frame edging that only comes on the TB70. Hmm, that's kind of cool. So does it, I haven't seen pictures of it. Does it look like the TB60 or is the frame size all different? Because I know no. they're sort of keeping the same kind of a look with this line. It's different, but I don't know. I guess, I mean, the, I the canopies all echo it. each other. It, it is meant to look like one family of helis, the TB7, yeah. you're sorry, TB40, TB60, TB70, TN70 all share kind of the same canopy design language. Uh, the TB70 yeah. is the other one with the white edging around the uh, the lower frames, but uh, they're all similar, yeah. Okay, nice. All have no boom supports. Hmm. Cool. Well, that's pretty cool, man. I don't know. I I, I feel like all the um, you know, the raw 420 guys and stuff would probably dig this bird, you know, or guys that fly that size bird. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, it's certainly another model in that space. I uh, I honestly don't have any feeling about it, good or bad. Uh, to be honest with you. Other than more models for the hobby is always a good thing. And obviously that uh, 470 that they sold for a million years uh, sold a gajillion. So, uh, you know, if this brings more people into the hobby, then more power to it. Uh, no word yet on availability, uh, what the combos will be. Uh, we'll let you know all of that when we hear it from Align. Scott, I felt like you, were, you had something to add on the Align thing you were threatening earlier. No, I was just excited. I think it's cool. Um, they're doing a bunch that is like big raw, little raw, mini raw. And it's, I don't know, SAB has this thing where they set a trend. They come up with a new design that kind of breaks the mold with how helis are constructed. And then everyone sort of follows suit. So it's kind of cool. The raw came out, what, two years ago? And now we're starting to see that as like the norm as far as, you know, big fat tail boom, tail case durable side frames kind of thing. You know, that whole kind of architecture yeah. now making its way through the industry, which is super cool. Yeah, I agree. It's like lighter, faster, stronger. Isn't it funny how like one company can do something and make it popular and then suddenly the way you perceive helicopters changes? Like what do boom supports yeah. look like to you now? <laughs> Archaic, right? Yeah, right? And which, but like they weren't that archaic that long ago, right? Like they were normal. Yeah. And uh, it's it's like the automotive industry. I mean, you get, you know, the big three German cars, Audi, uh, Mercedes, and BMW coming up with these wild designs every couple of years. And then you see them trickle down into like Hyundais and Kias and Hondas and stuff. Like if you look at a Honda now, it looks like the German cars looked like four years ago kind of thing. Those, those kind of yeah. radical designs they were coming out with. So I can't For tell sure. you how many times now I see a, a Civic or an Accord and I'm like, is that an Audi? No, it's a no. Civic. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. So the same thing happens with every industry. Yeah, it's cool. All right. With that, that's all I got from the news. So with that, let's uh, let's dig into some nitro. It's time to uh, ask lots of burning questions, so that yep. uh, I can get my build underway. Uh, so today's main topic is going to be part two of our nitro series of episodes. Uh, still don't know how many parts yet, but I think it's going to be three or four. Uh, but this is definitely part two. I can tell you that uh, we're, we'll cover engine break in, 
uh, maiden flight best practices in a future episode, maybe some radio programming um, best practices, that sort of thing. Um, but today we're focused on build tips for your first Nitro. Okay, so again, we're running under the assumption that you've built a few electric helicopter kits and you've mastered the basics of basic helicopter kit assembly. We're going to focus today on the differences and specifics of Nitro fuel powered helicopters. So how do you build those helicopters differently? Do you, for example, and uh, you know, build the head differently on a nitro powered version than an electric powered version. Questions like that. You know, will we ever cover gassers? Uh, some of you may be wondering, maybe, but only if Scott, Dan or Devin decide to lead that conversation. Cause yeah, so I'm excited. We got a kit. I have bought all of the stuff required to get this thing in the air. Thanks to Scott and Devin in part one, which if you haven't listened to that, and want to know all the things you need to buy, uh, go ahead and check out that episode. Uh, I've managed to successfully hide the credit card bill from the wife. I've <laughs> given the kids part-time jobs to help pay for this helicopter, and now I can actually build the thing. Yeah, sir. Right. Here we go. <laughs> all right. So I want to start by focusing on everything except the engine, the plumbing, the transmission. We'll get to that. But let's talk about the other parts of the helicopter during the build. So my first question is, do we do anything differently than when we build an electric? So I'm going to kind of break this down by part. Uh, and you guys tell me if we do anything differently than when we would build it or whether you build it the same way regardless of the power source. Uh, but before we get into that, so just as a general rule, do we still use blue Loctite or do we change any parts to red in general? Like what's our philosophy on Loctite and on Nitro? Depends on your Loctite out of date or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can go, Devin. Oh, um, I use mostly red on a Nitro. I, it's what I do personally. I I red Loctite my spindle bolts. I red Loctite some of the key things, the grub screw that goes in the tail shaft. I'll red Loctite that. But when it comes to like on at least on my oxy stuff, you have your two sides for your tail case. They still get blue Loctite and stuff. I use I start doing a mixture of both versus just blue loctite on an electric i'll use all blue loctite on an electric on a nitro i there's parts where i use red and then blue okay scott what about you uh i honestly don't change it up i roll with loctite 243 which is oil resistant blue uh make sure it's in date it's good use the right amount use the right amount of torque um i've not really had anything back out so i don't see a need for red it just causes me more issues going forwards a lot so, of people do it, though. I mean, there's some people that only use red, specifically Gowie red, looking at you, Jay Treadway. <laughs> they love that stuff. Yeah. Um, so cool. But I, I just I, never had an issue with blue, and it's easy to maintain. You know, you pop bolts out, no problem. Don't have things shake loose. So I, roll I, I have a question, and maybe this is an important note for the blue Loctite guys out there. Like, in my drawer, I've got the 242 stuff, um, but if I was getting into Nitro and I wanted to stick to blue, I didn't want to have to deal with heating something up to free up the red or whatever, right? Um, it's good to note that you need the 243, not the 242, the 243 because it's oil-resistant, right? Because we're getting a nitro. Yeah, well, I do that in everything. Yeah, okay, so we use 24. And I guess maybe a lot of electric guys are already using the 243 stuff because it's just they heard it's better, I guess. Yeah. Um, but for the guys that don't know that, yeah, don't use your 242 because... I gather, from what I understand, the like the nitro fumes and stuff like that will eventually loose that stuff up. Is that correct? 
Um, I don't think so. Once it sets, it's not like it's going to be a problem. But I just okay. I use two four three because if you don't get all the oils off your bolts when you're putting them in, um, yeah. it tends to be a little bit more resilient against that. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Ever since I started using it, and I get a little lazy. I don't really clean my bolts that well. I just give them a quick wipe with a paper towel. Like I yeah. put it in the driver, twist in the paper towel, put a little dot of blue on it and throw it in the helicopter. And Damn. I have built, I don't know, six of my own kits that way in the past three years and I've never had an issue. Okay. Okay. Duly noted. Okay. Good to know. What about the uh, bearings? Um, rotating compound? More so than perhaps on an electric or same rolls? If you I have to even do that. that. Yeah. I think that's XL Power uses a lot of bearing retaining compound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I did it on my electric, so I would assume I'd do it on my nitro. I don't think there'd be a situation where I would use it on an electric and not for a nitro. Um, but most of the time I'm pretty lazy and I don't bother unless the model needs it. Yeah, okay. I'm, the, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, like sometimes I'll put them on the swash drivers uh, for SAB stuff. Because everybody likes to freak out that they wiggle, even though it doesn't matter. Um, I had a guy online <laughs> on Facebook post a video of it. Adam Araujo, I think his name is. I mean, I just can't pronounce his name, but that's his name. Um, and it had the little wiggle thing, you know? And everyone's like, oh, throw green Loctite in there and stuff. And, and that fixes it. But I was just like, you're good. Send it. And this other guy was... Uh, he was not pleased with that answer. He's like, are you joking? Like, oh, that thing can makes the head not fall apart and twist itself to death. I was like, don't worry about it. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, side, right side rant. <laughs> no, I saw that video. And I was like, huh. And I made a mental note to actually check all of mine to see what I had done and then never did. So <clears throat> You don't get any worse. They just wiggle. So what? Yeah. So, Devin, you mentioned using a little bit of red on your spindle bolts. Uh, what about building the head and tail? Do we do anything differently on a nitro build for the head and tail? Any different uh, lubricants? Or do you use red Loctite on your spindle bolts? Or same, same deal as with an electric? Same I deal mean, here. Ba besides the, the spindle bolts and like the, the grub screw that holds the pin in, that's, that's it. Everything else is just blue. That's the only thing I put red on because I, I find it easier instead of just using blue where the case of it could back out, just make it so it won't back out. I also won't get it out, but that's fine. Fair enough. So pretty simple so far. What about uh, the frames, your basic frame assembly? Any differences there or same as it ever was? Uh, like Loctite wise or... Um, and Loctite-wise, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, the assembly technique is the same, but... Yeah, the assembly technique is, if depending on how you build your electric, yeah, it's this, per, the same, but I just use blue Loctite on the mainframe as well. My only comment is, uh, with electrics, you know, you tend to file the frame edges down anywhere, like, the batteries go, or that wires are going to go. Um, the only thing I'll do if I take the time to do that, because some modern frames are smoothed out anyway, I'll go through and I'll sand where I think the fuel tubing is going to go, just kind of once over, make sure it's not going to cut fuel tubing. Yeah, that okay. works too. Makes sense. Uh, what about the skids? Anything different there or, or same deal? No, same deal. Make sure deal. you put them on. Yeah, yeah, just put them on, you know, don't leave them off, but... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I just have visions of like all this extra vibration doing something. And maybe I'm yeah. just making that up. Sometimes no, it's really not honestly, like even the, the nitro crack in conversion I did, 
I took an electric that was flying, converted it to nitro, and changed nothing as far as mechanics. And I usually build them the same way. But skids, sometimes, rarely, I will either super glue those little end caps in a little bit better, or I'll leave them out on a nitro. Just because sometimes they pop out okay. with vibration. Yeah, that makes sense. What about uh, the motor mount itself when you're bolting that into the frame? Red Loctite there? Doesn't matter. I still use blue on that, personally. Blue. Uh, yeah. Unless it's got an eye lock, then don't use anything. Yeah. Well, of course, yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. I was expecting there might be some more differences there, but it doesn't sound like there's a lot other than just good common sense practices. I mean, I tend to use red Loctite on an electric on all of those places you mentioned, Devin, for the most part. You know, mm -hmm. any of those like set screws, motor pinion set screws, you know, tail pulley set screw, that kind of stuff. I think the mechanical stuff you're going to notice is going to be pretty much identical. You're going to start seeing a difference when we talk about wiring and fuel tubing and stuff like that. Yeah, which actually wiring is, is, is next on my list here. So obviously there's some extra wires to run with throttle, throttle servos and, and glow plugs and all that stuff. But we need to be any more careful with that wiring um, mm -hmm. on a nitro. And it sounds like, yes, obviously we need to, <laughs> to really check our frames. Well, there's one, there's one thing that a lot of new Nitro people do, and they think they're being good. They think they're taking their time on something they're not familiar with, and they, they go that extra mile with the wiring. They take everything and they put it through that little Chinese finger trap wire cover. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. It's like that little meshed woven jacket. Um, and yeah, they'll do that on that all, all the servos. They'll do the, the shrink tube ends on it, and they'll zip tie it all nicey-nice. But that's the worst thing you could do with a nitro. You know why? No. Because all the oil and all the exhaust and all that liquid and unburnt fuel and stuff ends up getting into that wrapping, sitting and staying inside that tubing and eating away at your, your wires. And it makes your, your rubber jacketing on your wires brittle and start to crack and kind of fatigue and fall apart. And after a while, your wires are just going to start shorting out. And you won't know because it's in this jacketing and it's holding all this crap in right against your wires because of it. So worst thing Oof. you can do for a nitro is to do that. Really? So even yeah, heat shrink, uh -huh. you shouldn't be heat shrinking wires. You, you can heat shrink, but I was just talking about when you, they heat shrink the ends and stuff. I mean, it, the heat shrink's not going to do anything um, as long as it's like liquid tight and it's not going to get back in there. So what I normally do is I will wire everything just plain Jane, no jacketing, no nothing in the wires, just as it comes from the servo. Any touch point on the heli, so anywhere that a wire may wrap around. Some people use nitro fuel tubing. I personally use that SAB frame edging that they do, or sometimes they call it like canopy edging. The canopy edging is narrower. Frame edging is a little bit wider, so it fits on a carbon frame real nice. I'll super glue like one or two inch long pieces anywhere that the wires or fuel tubing go across, just to guarantee as it sits and vibrates on that hard edge, it doesn't cut through it. And that works fantastic. And then the next thing I do is any, any touch point where the wires need to be zip tied down, I'll do a little small section of like a Velcro wrap, and then I'll zip tie over the Velcro wrap. So that way there's a piece of Velcro insulating the wire from the zip tie. So that way, again, it doesn't vibrate and chafe against it eating into your wires. Now you can argue, oh, that piece of Velcro is going to absorb, you know, nitro fuel like you said you didn't want. It's true, but it's a lot more likely it's going to come out you know, because it's such a small piece. Uh, and if it really bugs you, you can slide the wires one way, clean it, slide it back. Not a problem. But it just keeps things from getting damaged and destroyed. And leave, leave slack on the wiring too. 
So a lot of guys will wire their servos in such a way where it's like pulled tight, nice and neat. And that's also the worst thing you could do because tension and vibration is going to equal breaking solder joints inside your servos and goodbye helicopter. So little servo loops at all connections so that there's yeah. a little slack. Okay. Okay, cool. Can you use servo extensions in a nitro? Like if the throttle servo doesn't reach your FBL, is it okay to just use one? And if you do, just heat shrinking the connector enough or do you need to go further? Yeah, that's fine. What I actually do is I'll use the kind of heavy-duty ones. I think Spectrum and JR make these heavy-duty cables just because I like to have a nice solid plug-in and the wire is a little thicker gauge. I'll do a little dot of super glue. The Gorilla Gel on the uh, female, well, technically it's the male side of the plug, right? Plastic male, metal contact female side of the plug. So like the one that's connected to your servo. Put a little dot mm -hmm. of super glue on the face of it, the side that doesn't have the contacts and then slip it into your extension. And that super glue is vibration resistant, it's very strong, never had one pull out, and then sometimes I'll shrink tube over it just to kind of guarantee it doesn't go anywhere. But in order to get those apart, you have to bend them and you can hear the super glue crack, and then it separates. I have never had one of those come out except in a crash, and it's been fantastic. Cool, that's a good tip. All right, so moving away from wiring here to our fly barless, uh, what about mounting the fly barless? I know you mentioned some specific tape when we talked about what to buy. Uh, what are some good guidelines for mounting the FBL on a nitro? Mm -hmm. um, so I showed you that gel tape. It's like Gorilla Gel or 3M Gel. Uh, I try and do that so mm -hmm. it doesn't absorb nitro oils and stuff and cause that foam to get a little soft. I'm sure anybody that's flown for a long time it remembers the foam pads that were on like GY401 gyros. And if you left those long enough, eventually it would fall off and your heli would do the coolest 3D maneuvers without you. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like Alan Zabo taking the sticks over here. But so that's definitely a fear. Um, something I used to do that's a big no no is I used to do what I called a seatbelt over the uh, fly barless system. So I would either use Velcro or I'd use a zip tie with fuel tubing over it and I'd like seatbelt the, the fly barless system to the helicopter so it didn't fling off. But the problem with that is it transmits a bunch more vibration to the fly barless unit. It's just not a good idea. Um, I did that back in the T-Rex 600 and B-Stacks days and I'd get right roll of death all the time during a tail slide. Like on command, it was really, really bad. So not a good idea. Oof. <laughs> good to know all right cool um yeah i do the same i do the same thing um i know for me at least uh luca makes the makes the clear like style 3m tape that i use same basically the same thing mm -hmm. i use that um i don't do anything else besides that to the fly barless i let it sit on that Ooh, big one i hot glue my connectors into the fly barless too uh, yeah i use the sticky Shugu, yeah, or the Shugu, yeah, yeah, both work. Same kind of concept, but definitely don't not do that. Yeah, they'll come out if you don't do that. Trust. Ask me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> I said there was one time I was at a fun fly. I'm like, I didn't have it, and I was like, it'll be fine. Yeah, two flights later. Oof, oof. Duh. Well, that's good yeah. to know because I usually don't glue them in until after the maiden. I wait to make sure everything's happy. Uh, but it sounds mm -hmm. like on a nitro, you don't want to do that. I no. mean, you can get away with a hover and a maiden flight, like as long as you're yeah. not going nuts. But two, three, four flights, you're flirting with the devil. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good to know. All right. 
digging into the nitty-gritty of nitro now so now we're going to get to the the fuel system the engine stuff the spinny thingies the smoky thingies all the thingies so let's talk about the fuel tank so having never touched one of these uh what do we need to know about mounting it uh and then we'll start talking about the clunk and uh some of the other stuff there so what about just mounting it in the frame anything fancy there uh, just make sure it's not touching the frame make sure yeah. it's in its rubber isolators yeah, it doesn't most of the helis nowadays, even back in the day, they came with like uh, rubber wrapping that goes on the frame to that helps hold the tank and then and stop it from chafing on it. Like that's all I really do. Make sure you glue that on the frame and that's it. Then it's squished between the frames and you're good. Yeah. So that was my next question. So you just sort of like pry the edge of that stuff back a little and put a little like CA in there, or how do you glue it onto the frame? You have to work pretty quick sometimes, but I actually I'll run it on the frame and then put it on but you have to be pretty quick before it starts to set and dry so yeah because if you if you actually put it on the rubber side sometimes you'll get you just get runoff of the glue depending on what time what type you use and you could see it on the frame and i that can look very bad especially when you go all the way around so okay so we got a brand new fuel tank let's talk about the clunk for a second but before we get too deep into that does that come with the helicopter, or do we have to buy that? The clunk? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, that should come with the helicopter. Um, depending on okay. what helicopter you buy, you may change your clunk. But in your case, you bought an SAB, so you're going to have the SAB clunk, so you don't have anything that you need to do to it. You should be good. Yeah, I think right, so, what, Oxy comes with the MOAS, right, from yeah. the factory? And then SAB, like you said, comes with the SAB clunk. Uh, these are all basically the same design. It's a felt clunk. And the theory behind it is um, kind of like the old header tanks of the 2000s. If the clunk is to come out of the fuel for any reason during 3D, um, it's supposed to not run dry of fuel immediately. So the header tank used to just draw air into the header, but then the header had its own separate clunk. So it was unlikely that it would, you know, draw into the motor. With the new MOAS or SAB uh, felt clunks, the theory is the felt is so saturated with nitro fuel that it can leave the fuel and then come back and you still get, you know, uh, consistent fuel supply. It doesn't dry out that felt and suck all the fuel out in the amount of time it spends out of the fuel. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, yeah no, it does. Yeah. Hmm. So another thing you want to do is you'll notice that these aftermarket fuel clunks or the foam ones come with their own special fuel tubing. Typically, it's going to be a smaller, thinner wall than your typical fuel tubing. And the concept behind that is it's easier for the clunk to move around and it's not going to get like stuck in the fuel tubing and like act like a pendulum sort of thing or like go back and forth with a straight piece of fuel tubing. It's supposed to be able to kink around and move and flow, you know, move freely within the tank. So definitely use the provided fuel tubing that comes with those higher quality fuel clunks. Uh, they tend to work a lot better. And then make sure that the clunk isn't too long to the point it starts to kink and hit the back of the tank or get stuck anywhere. You really want to be able to wiggle that clunk around inside the tank and have it not really touch the back wall. But make sure that when it's upright, upside down, sideways, that the clunk is able to touch the side walls of the tank at all times. Because really, top and bottom of the tank are the only two sides that are ever really used in a helicopter because it's the only direction in a heli that ever gets force. Um, because it's never going to move backwards or forwards or left or right on its own. It's always using the disc, pulling it either which direction. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. So 
top and bottom, that's your priority. If you get the clunk there both times and it's nice and free, you're looking good. So if you bought a factory kit like I did uh, and you're using the clunk that's provided in it, should we be, should I be ordering like some different fuel tubing for that or what comes Depends. in the kit is okay? What came in your kit? I don't know. I haven't, uh, haven't opened it yet. <laughs> what kind of helicopter is it? Uh, this is a, a raw nitro 700. Oh, you'll be okay. It comes with the right stuff. Yeah, you'll the be links fine. tubing is a little thinner. It's a little nicer, but the SAB stuff works really good too. So when you put it in your hand, you'll probably be able to tell the two. One will feel a little bit more robust, and the other one's a little bit more give in it and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah there's a color sure. difference as well between the clunk tubing and the fuel tubing for running from the tank to the motor. The clunk yeah. tubing will be not only a little bit smaller, but it'll be clear, versus the fuel tubing will have a tinge of like blue to it. So you'll be able yep, to yep. tell the difference. Very cool. All cool. right. Before we move on, uh, I like to also soak that first. You're supposed to leave it soaked in fuel for a couple hours before you run it. And the other thing I like to do is I will get a um, air gun before I put fuel in it, and I'll blow it out and make sure there's no pieces of lint stuck in it because I've had it. Obviously, probably OS doesn't suffer from the same issues as much, but I've had issues with my YS engines where a piece of felt on a brand new clunk makes its way through the fuel tubing and gets into the carb. Now, I know someone's going to pipe up and be like, ooh, that's why you run a fuel filter. We'll talk about that later when you ask about fuel filters. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So what about assembling this clunk and, and the tank? Like, is there any special thing I need to do to, like, seal these connections at the edge of the tank wall? Um, no. Uh, any adhesives or is it just a pressure kind of you tighten the... I don't, I don't know what you tighten, but I'm assuming there's a pressure fitting you tighten of some kind. Well, I no, mean, but no, not, not even. I, I don't know. I haven't looked at an SAB closely in a long time, but I know on most of them, even for like the pressure of the tank, it, it'll have an O-ring. And as the tank pressurizes, it's going to push on that O-ring anyway if, with already being tight. And then the feed side of it has a grommet that is really tight. And you'll have to be careful putting that in because you can rip it. So you don't really have to do anything special to that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that then. So putting this in, and you can tell I've never done this before because I'm, I'm not using any of the right terms, but, you know, when you push the, <laughs> the rubber thingy into the plastic thingy, no, the, like the, the gasket, uh, do you use, like, do you put a little fuel on it as, as like a lube to help insert it or, or any, any tricks there? So let me, let me, you mind if I run through what, what I do, then you can run with the devil yeah, because I, yeah. I do the SCB stuff and it's... There's a, I'll just start. So <laughs> don't assemble your little metal nipple and the clunk line and the felt, you know, clunk on its own. Cause I've done that so many times and it's such a pain in the ass to get the fuel filter on the little barbs of that filter. And then you realize, shit, I can't get the rubber O-ring over the filter or the other end. So I got to pull it all apart again. So you're going to want to have your clunk, then put your fuel line on it. Then put your rubber O-ring the right direction over the fuel line and then put the metal nipple on the end of it. Very important. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, oh my God. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where you're like, all right, saw to the connector, then put over your shrink wrap. Oh, shit. Oh, uh, no. That's <laughs> one of those situations. <laughs> so, like somebody's got experience doing it. Yeah, oh, my God. Experience it's like a right of passage. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were supposed to do that like once or twice, not every week. 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway, so what I like to do, I'm sure people won't agree with me, but I like to lubricate my rubber gasket before I put it in because I have had issues in the past where when I put one in dry, this, somebody's going to take this out of context, but when I put <laughs> oh, one in yeah. dry and then I fill it up with nitro fuel and I let it sit for an hour or two while I'm either going to the field or I'm sitting at the field waiting to fly my new heli, um, the rubber O-ring will actually start to swell and tear because it either dries out or absorbs like eth ethanol fuel or something. Uh, fumes, I don't know what it is exactly. I'm not a expert on rubber and silicone or whatever the hell it's made of. I'm pretty sure it's just rubber. But when I started having those issues, what I did is I put three in one on it and like really kind of bathed the O-ring in three in one. It makes it easier to install and I haven't had one swell up and puncture itself since then but what i try and do is it's a real pain in the ass to try and get that rubber o-ring into the tank hole and not push it in all the way with that metal nibble metal nipple it's very hard to to get that right so what i tend to do is i'll take it and i'll push it like almost halfway onto the nipple and then i'll start to feed the rubber into the hole in the tank and i try and push them both in kind of at the same time um, that way when the tank one kind of seats, I'm already almost halfway through with the nipple in the inside of that rubber gasket. And then I can push it the rest of the way in. I do twist a little bit when I do that. I try and get everything to kind of sit happy and not be under kind of tension or being pulled in either direction. Um, but once it's in, I usually add just a little bit more three in one around it just to make sure it's nice and wet. And then I'm good. I can then start throwing my fuel tubing on it. Ever since I started doing that with SAB tanks, I have not had one of those rubber rubber O-rings rupture. Okay. Can you use any other lubricants other than 3-in-1? Like, is TriFlow okay, or it really needs to be 3-in-1? Sure. I don't know. Let me read what I'm using here. <laughs> I don't even know what this is. <laughs> yeah, it just says multi-purpose oil. It is 3-in-1. It's got a marksman spout. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Probably gun oil. <laughs> Some BB gun lube. <laughs> Whatever that means. I've, it's just, this is the oil I've been using since I was like, you know, 10 years old flying helicopters. And I just kept buying the same shit. It works pretty good on bearings and works good on rubber stuff. So I just keep using it. I'm sure you can use TriFlow. I'm sure you can use other kind of, you know, motor bearing oil or something. I'm, I'm just using it as like a penetrating oil to try and make sure that that rubber doesn't dry out or it doesn't absorb uh, whatever caustic chemicals are in the fuel causing it to swell. Yeah. Your spit works pretty good too. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you can see my bunker with your spit. Yeah. <laughs> Devin, what about you? Any, any different methods for this process? So as, as far as getting the clunk ready to go into the tank, I do the same thing as Scott and, you know, get your fuel line on your nipple, then your grommet, then the clunk itself and i'll put the grommet in first usually i do it a little different and then when it comes to the nipple to help i actually do spit on it just a little bit of spit on it and uh oh, it slides man. right in yep <laughs> that, that actually though i do spit on it it works sure yeah a little bit of temp lube yeah yeah and um it right. works fine every time so we all giggled, but no one made an outright joke about it. I, I'm kind of proud of us. <laughs> just, just got to spit on it to get it right. Yeah, yep. A little bit of spit goes a long way. All right. Anything else on the tank and the clunk before we move on from there? 
Uh, I mean, another thing for clunk lengths, I mean, I know Scott kind of went over this, and with it on being able to touch the bottom and the top, mostly what I look for in that is as long as it doesn't get stuck in the corners of the tank, because you can run into that, and you will if the clunk's a little long, it'll get stuck in the corners of the tanks, the top and bottom corners, and you won't be able to get, you have to shake the fuck out of it to get it to move. So I tend to just, I tend to do my lengths based off of, all right, it's not getting stuck in the corners and it flops around and goes where it needs to do. And that's how I set my clunk length. Okay. Uh, is now a good time to talk about fuel filters? <laughs> sure. What are those? Throw them in the trash. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was a big proponent of using fuel filters for the longest time. And I loved those little three-way align fuel filters. I had a system going where I could do it with one hand and they seemed to work well. But then I had issues where it didn't stop everything from going through. Um, I had one crack and I didn't know it. So I had a hairline crack. It drew in air, caused issues. And it was just all in all pain in the ass. And there was one point about two years ago, you couldn't get them. Don't say, oh, it's COVID. I know, but that's fine. I couldn't get them. And I'm trying to build a nitro. So... I ended up just running without it, and I had the same performance. I didn't have any issues. I rebuild my motors all the time anyway, because I don't really just leave them. You know, I take them out periodically and clean them out. I just stopped running them, whatever. So a piece of felt gets in it, the motor stops. You auto-rotate to the ground, you land. It's not the end of the world, you know? It, it doesn't happen that often. I think I've had it happen twice since I gave up using filters, but I had it happen before that when I had filters in it. So. I see no real difference. And it's super easy for me just to pull the line off the carb, stick it in my fuel. I don't have to worry about pinching a line off, using any kind of clicker, pincher, whatever, hemostat thing that they call them. It just fills straight to the tank. Um, unplug it, plug it back in the carb. You're good to go. No problems. Okay. Devin, what's your uh, philosophy on filters? What are, what are those? What are filters? Okay. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my philosophy. They're... Um, I used to use the Align filters as well, um, but for my issue was with them is they were air traps real bad, and the motor would constantly run lean, and you would not be able to know why. Yeah. And then finally, it's like, oh, just just take off the filter and run a straight line, and boom, there you go. It runs great again. So yeah. from that day forward, I stopped using filters, and I just do a straight line right into the motor. Yep. Okay. And for the record, I have used the higher-end, nice aluminum billet fuel filters, the high-diameter ones, the high-flow ones, this and that. It, I tried it. I didn't like it. I don't run it. Sorry. Nitro is such okay. a polarizing topic like we talk about. You're going to get people that only use filters. You're going to get people that don't. You're going to get people that use Play-Doh. Like, everyone does it their own way. Everyone's very passionate about it. It's just what we do. Yeah. No, that's fair. Uh, Devin, random sidecar question that just popped into my head out of nowhere. Do you and your dad agree on all things Nitro? I know, you know, we've talked about how polarizing it is. Do you guys, are you just in agreement about everything? Or is there anything Nitro you and your dad are, are opposites on? Depends, um, is his dad holding the belt? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> that is a good question. No, we, uh, again, he's the one that taught me basically everything I know about Nitro. So the way I do... I set up my nitros, I run my nitros, it tends to be the way my dad does it. So on that aspect, we kind of agree on most things because he's the one that taught me. Yeah, fair enough. 
No, I just wondered if there was anything that had evolved that like you guys debate on, but uh, sounds like no. When it comes to helping people, sometimes we have debates on what I think is wrong and what he thinks is wrong. And uh, usually he's right, so. <laughs> That'd be a fun sitcom. <laughs> it would be a great sitcom. Sometimes no, I'm right. How much you to say that on the air? <laughs> oh, no, nothing. Sometimes I'm right, and when I am right, I go, hell yeah, who's right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, we agree on a lot of things, most, but I, I can't, he taught me and, you know, he was flew nitro and been, has been flying helicopters since the eighties. So how, how can you argue with somebody that has, you know, 30 years of knowledge of, of nitro helis and everything like that? And especially the fact him being my father. So, yeah, yeah, no, the man is, is well respected amongst the nitro fans. So, uh, and rightly so. Yeah. All right. Back to the build. Clutch stack. Let's talk about it. So some best practices here. What gets Loctite? What doesn't in the clutch stack? Uh, let's start there. Uh, I mean, for me, it's pretty simple because the clutch stack that is on the helis that I fly is you have your bell and then you have your starting shaft that goes through and it's, all, it's held in by the starter cup. And you just lock tight the set screws on the starter cup, and you're done. It's really simple. Okay. Me so, on the other there's hand, there's a nut on the end of the engine crank, right? No, no. Well, kind of. Yeah, because you gotta. Sorry, I didn't think about that. Yeah, because you have to put your shoe on the on the engine and the fly, um, the fan, and everything like that. So yes, you lock tight that or not? Yeah, I put a little bit on it. I don't like douse it. I just do a drop, okay. and we're good. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. I mean, SAB doesn't use that nut, but obviously I've built many helis with that nut. Um, I put Loctite on it, too. Everyone's going to argue, too, that, you know, oh, Loctite doesn't withstand that kind of temperature. It loses its effectiveness. True, but it's not a binary on-off. It's not like as soon as it hits a certain temperature, it just does nothing. Um, still yeah. creates resistance, still keeps it from spinning off. Uh, it is still effective. So I'll put blue Loctite on my nut if I have one. I will put blue Loctite on the crankshaft, they call it, for an SAB helicopter, the one that goes up the center of the clutch stack. And I'll also blue Loctite that fan because uh, I don't know if you've maidened an SAB nitro or not, but when you're struggling to get that nitro engine started, every now and then that fan spins itself off whenever the motor doesn't start, and it's a pain in the ass to get back on. Just ask Sean Hall at that other fun fly. <laughs> yeah, you gotta take it all apart again, tighten it all back down, and start over. Yeah, surprisingly enough, Steve Yana actually happens to a, a lot, a lot more than I would expect it to. Yeah, the motor just doesn't start, and you just hear "woom," and now, and now the motor like is so hard to turn because the fan spun off and is hitting on the shroud and shit like that. Exactly. <laughs> a little bit of blue Loctite usually saves the day, even yep. though the manual says don't. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of this process, do we use a crank lock, a toothbrush? Scott, you mentioned before we get got recording a, a length of fuel tubing. Uh, what's the process kind of. there? I use a crank lock. I do too. Period. Uh, that's what I normally use. I'll use the fuel tubing in an absolute pinch if I have no other options. I'm like in the field trying to do it. I'll run like three pieces of fuel ty- tubing into the exhaust port. Kind of helps, uh, but it's not good to do that. The reason for that is because you're putting all that torque through the crank up through the conrod into the piston and using the head of the piston to stop it. And because you're side loading the piston with the fuel tubing, 
um, you're also causing that piston to rock slightly in the uh, this cylinder. So you're putting a lot of pressure in that bottom of the skirt on the opposite corner. It's just not good, not good for an engine. But the times I have done that is mostly to get the liner out if I'm doing a rebuild. So I really don't give a shit about the piston or the liner so much, but it doesn't damage it. It's way more friendly than sticking a damn screwdriver in the hole and trying to do it that way. Because sometimes it's real hard to get those liners out. Yeah, sometimes they're in there good. Especially if the motor got hot. Real hot. I had experience yeah. with that. 21 clicks? <laughs> yep, yep. Just keep leaning it. It'll be fine. Pops a hole in the piston and the liner doesn't want to come out. <laughs> what about balancing things? Do we balance the fan? Do we balance anything? I don't balance anything. Mr. Matt Bodos, cover your ears. I don't balance anything either. I don't balance my shit. Okay. What about any other tips and tricks for the clutch stack that I'm not asking about because I have no idea what I'm doing? Glue your magnets in? Yeah, if you use magnets, glue them in. Yeah. That helps. Or else you're going to hear, foong, and there you go. You don't have RPM anymore. Foong! <laughs> 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 so they're not press fit is what you're saying. No, no. Negative ghost rider. <laughs> yeah, no. If you want to have some fun, don't glue them in. You'll, you'll what find do you glue out. them in with? Oxy, CA? There's a specific type. I don't use magnets, so but there is a type of glue that they say works better. Scott, you probably know which um, one to use. I mean, most people, I believe, use epoxy, um, especially if it's kind of vibration resistant. I use Gorilla Glue Gel Super Glue. It's vibration resistant. It's the same thing I use on my tail control rods. It's the same thing I use everywhere in a helicopter that needs glue. It's very strong. It is vibration resistant. Never had issues. I have dismantled helicopters with f with furious speed into the ground and my tail control rod ends are still connected that stuff is really 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 good it comes in a little bottle with a green cap you get at any lowe's or home depot perfect stuff for the job all right so in a minute we're going to get into uh, all things fuel tubing but before that i want to talk about mounting the pipe to the engine so i know we talked about a few different methods for that from rtv to gaskets to some people even JB weld in there somewhere. Uh, aluminum tape was one Scott mentioned. Uh, so I'd love to hear from each of you what your favorites are. And let's stick to the aluminum tape and RTV, I think, is the two more popular methods. And so how do we do that? And is there some process of like heating the engine up for the first time and tightening the bolts again or anything we need to be aware of there? I use RTV personally. I, um, you do a, th a layer of RTV over it, just covering, covering the the surface of it try not to get it in the bolt holes and try not to get it in the exhaust port because if you do the motor will suck it in i guarantee it so be pretty gentle with it just a nice thin layer it'll be fine if you have to clean out the bolt holes if you have to go over the edges of the exhaust port do that mount the pipe up Fly it, and when I, I do tight, retighten the pipe after I fly it and get it hot. Most of the time, I've noticed that if I don't, my pipe will come loose eventually. So I just tighten it, and I've never had an issue. So let it get hot, tighten it once, and then you're done? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I do anything different. I mean, I don't use RTV. I tried it once. I didn't have very good luck with it. I don't think I did it right. But I ended up using gaskets for a bunch of years. I had issues with the pipes coming loose with the gaskets because they tend to, you know, swell and shrink based on if they dry out or thermal or whatever. 
and then I was watching a YouTube video and this dude had talked about using aluminum tape and it was an old nitro airplane trick. So I tried it. Uh, it worked phenomenally. Uh, I've, I've been doing it ever since. I don't have issues with it expanding or contracting. It's a very, very thin aluminum tape. It does not have a paperback on it. That's very critical that you do not have a paperback on it. But what I'll do is I'll choose the choose the bigger of the two faces, be it the exhaust port or the engine port. I'll put the tape over it and I will then cut it out. Typically it ends up being the exhaust port. I just like doing that one just to guarantee there's no overhang into the exhaust as much as possible. But I'll, I'll press it on, I'll rub the edges with my fingers to the point I could see the edges really well. I'll take an X-Acto blade, what is it, like a number two or a number 11 X-Acto, and I'll just cut around the edge real carefully. I don't score anything or do anything bad, but cut the excess off, cut the holes out for the threads, and then bolt the pipe up, tighten it, and then like Devin says, when the engine's nice and hot, uh, go in and retighten it again, and those suckers stay on for good. A lot of guys use JB Weld, like you mentioned. It is very popular to use JB Weld as well. You just do a nice thin, uh, thin coat. <clears throat> so, oh, excuse me. <coughs> Pretty sure I just ate a bug. Um, <laughs> you do a real nice thin coat of JB Weld <laughs> to the point it's just like a faint gray. You can kind of see through it, sort of thing. You don't want to like lather it up. And then put the pipe on, bolt it down, and you're good to go at that point. Super popular with a bunch of the hardcore nitro guys. Um, cause it just works. It's easy and it works. Does it make it hard to get the pipe off? It, it's not, it, it's not that bad. It comes off. It's just, okay. It's good. Like Devin mentioned, any excess over the edges and the inside of the pipe will get sucked in. Common misconception with people that aren't nitro heads or experience with two stork engines is you think that exhaust just blows out. You know, it's just kind of what you expect. With any kind of four-cylinder engine with valves, that's usually what happens. You typically don't get air coming back through the exhaust into the engine. But with two-stroke, the opposite's true. You get, you know, reverb back and forth kind of thing. Like a, a, you get a, a shock wave that goes out and then comes back into the motor. So you'll get air that goes both ways. So it will suck air back into the pipe. So careful. Okay. Do we put Loctite on those bolts that hold the pipe on or no? I do. You'll get people arguing the temperature thing too, but it still does work. So I do. Uh, I, okay. I don't, I don't, I do, I, um, there's an old trick from a couple of years ago. I do nylon, I do, uh, locking nuts on the other side. I don't do it so much. Sometimes I just bolt into the threads in the motor, but I, some other times I will do, uh, bolted through with nylon locking bolts on the other side. And then you cut out the reliefs in the bolts. So if you crash the bolt snap and the pipe comes off. So it tries to save your pipe if it crashes on the pipe. Most of the time, if you have something go or if something happens with the heli, it's heavy on the pipe side. So you'll always get super lucky and it lands on the pipe side. So uh, <laughs> uh, so some t you could do that as well, or you could just go through the threads in the motor with a little bit of Loctite. Either one works. Okay. All right. Anything else uh, pipe related before we move on to some fuel tubing? Yeah. Uh Depending on what motor you run, I don't. I uh, OS think, 105. Yeah, but if you have an HZR versus an H an HZ, a regulated versus uh, a muffler I'm running, pressure pipe, uh, non-regulated. Yeah, yeah. So, but going between the two, in case there's some people out there that are running a regulated, and there's some people that aren't. Depending on which pipe you get, if you get a regulated pipe, or if you get, 
I don't remember exactly how it works, but you will some most of the time you have to take the nipple out of the pipe and put a screw in it to block off the muffler. Um, you, I think they come with the pipes now. Back in the day, they didn't. Make sure you put that in, and I do a little bit of a RTV around it so it doesn't leak, and you'll be good. Well, that's the same question. So same process for mounting the nipple. Then is it RTV as you as you mount it, or? Yeah, I I do a little bit around it. Again, you don't want you don't really want it to get into the baffles of the pipe because it will suck it in. But a little bit just to seal it, so that way you're good. And I do that. Same thing with okay. the screw. If you if you're running a regulated, when you put the screw in the pipe to block off that pressure point, a little bit of RTV and you're good. Okay. Okay. This is the part that has me baffled. And and maybe if I read the manual of the of the raw 700 nitro. It'll, it'll be covered in there, but I, I feel like I've yet to see a really good video, and maybe I just haven't found it yet. So if, if folks have any, any good YouTube links for this stuff, let me know. But how do you run the fuel tubing for a muffler pressure setup or for a regulated setup? Like, what connects to what? You know, how do you fuel the thing? Like, what are the disconnects and the valves and the T-fittings? Like, how do you figure that out? Like, how do people know? how to do that. And then I also want to talk about just general routing best practices. I know we talked about the frame edges earlier in the episode. Like what are the do's and don'ts of fuel tubing? Where do the fittings go? How does this work? I mean, I I don't know about you, Scott, but I don't run any fittings on my helis anymore, any fill fittings or anything like that. It's a straight shot if I'm running muffler pressure from the nipple on the muffler to on the top of the tank or front of the tank if it's up there front top to the pressure point to where you're pressurizing the tank and I do one shot from the feed to the carburetor. I don't I don't mess with any fittings anymore. Um yeah. I don't know how you do it, Scott. That's how I do it. I just do one straight shot. Yep, I'm a big believer that connections are opportunities for leaks. Um it's opportunities for air to get into your system. So I do the same thing. Muffler pressure, you go from the muffler to the tank, the top of the tank, and then from the front of the tank from the clunk to the carburetor straight shot nice and simple doesn't use a lot of fuel tubing you can get a real nice clean path awesome leave enough slack on the one that goes from the clunk to the carb where you can pull it off the carb and fill the tank relatively easily if you're running a pumped or pressurized what do you call it um regulated regulated motor so anything ys or os with a uh, diaphragm you're going to want to run from the back plate and make sure you use the specified distance or length of fuel tubing that they say. Um, yes. I believe... 10 uh, millimeters, is it? 10 centimeters. 10 for, centimeters, yeah. Yep. For YS, is 10 centimeters. OS, I think, has a different measurement. I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they have their own distance. Make sure your, your one-way is going the correct direction. That's it important. needs to allow air to go from the engine to the tank and not back to the engine because again it works like the pipe when the piston goes down uh it's the opposite of the pipe actually when the piston goes down it increases crankcase pressure pushing air into the fuel tank through that one way and then when the piston goes back up uh it's now creating negative pressure in the crankcase and that's going to try and draw air back from the tank but it won't be able to because your one way will stop so make sure that's going the right way and then you're going to want to come from the fuel tank to the carb from there when you're fueling, for the love of God, make sure that you undo the pressure nipple first from the uh, pressure port in the tank to relieve the, release the pressure. If you don't, you're going to be shooting fuel all over your buddies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turn that sucker on and walk away. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. 
You could do it on purpose too, especially like someone's talking and you're just like, hey, guess what? Dude, yeah. first event I ever went to because I hadn't, I hadn't really gone to events ever, and I also had never had a regulated engine until Heli Extravaganza 2017. It was my first ever real event with like all you guys. I show up, I get my T-Rex, whatever it was, I don't even remember. Oh, it was a Fury uh, 90. I had put a YS91 in it, and I fuel it up, and I forget to do that nipple, and then I pull the fuel thing out, and it just starts shooting fuel everywhere, and like I'm so embarrassed because like I'm the new guy, I don't know anybody, and I'm just made a complete fool of myself, and I'm like, wow, that's that's how we're gonna do it. <laughs> I feel like you just yep. spoke my future. <laughs> oh, it'll happen to you. Trust me, it happens oh, like, everyone. Close your eyes. Yeah. Oh yeah, we've all done it. Especially yeah, if you're running a regulator. But if you're well, running yeah, a hang on. Pressure, you're not regulated, right? Yeah, you won't happen to you. Yeah, you're good to go. Yeah. You don't got to worry about nothing. Just pull it off the carbon, and you're good. Yeah. The one thing I will tell you, though, is when you're done flying because it's non-regulated, fill the tank all the way up and either leave it full or pump it all the way back out again and just leave a little bit in the bottom for the clunk to sit in. The reason for that is the thing that actually eats away at your, your clunk and your fuel line is the exhaust gases that are inside the tank after the flight. So when all those exhaust gases are sitting in that tank that's empty, um, it's just sitting there eating away at your, your clunk line. So push it out with fuel, evacuate it, and then draw that fuel back out or leave it in. Uh, that's mixed as well. Some people like to leave it in. Some people like to pull it out. Personally, I leave a full tank in the heli anytime I can. And the reason for that is to try and keep the grommets and everything lubricated, submerged, no issues. Yeah, I'm all about leaving it in, no pulling out. <laughs> keep it lubed yeah no nah. i i try i usually try to keep fuel in the tank anyway because your your clunk needs to stay wet if you let it dry out it's not good for the clunk so just i leave a full tank in my helis yeah and actually we'll cover that uh in the next part of our nitro series a little more i definitely want to talk about best practices what your end of day you know, procedures should be uh, to keep your, your motor healthy if it's going to sit for a week or if it's going to sit for a month or, you know, that kind of stuff. So we will cover yeah. all that in a future episode yeah. for sure. So just to review, because sometimes I feel like the hardest part of Nitro is that everybody knows what they're talking about except for the new people. And the new people are going, wait, what? You go from the where to the what? So in a muffler pressure setup, so non-regulated, do I run a one-way fitting? No. Okay. No. So Straight that was shot. just for regulated. One, okay. Straight just shot. for regulated, you. It'll say in the motor because I can't remember. Um, when you get the directions, how far to space off the back of the motor, the check valve, and then another piece of line that goes to the pressure point on the tank. But that's for regulated. And muffler pressure, you just do one line that goes from the muffler to the pressure point on the tank. That's it. Okay. And then isn't there a line that comes off like the back of the tank? You put a little plug in that that's where you release the tank pressure from? That's for regulated. That's for regulated. Okay. My yeah, problem regulated. is like I watch the nitro guys at the field and I'm not paying attention to those details. Okay. So I don't yeah. need to worry about that. The regulated is the only motor that you need to worry about releasing tank pressure before you fill it up or do anything with it like that. Put fuel in it, take fuel out, anything like that. If you have a muffler pressure engine, when the motor stops running, that pressure is going to evacuate the tank and it's just going to go to whatever the normal atmospheric pressure is around you. Okay. So you don't have to All worry right. about releasing anything. It'll, 
It'll just do it all naturally. Okay. So what you're telling me is I'm not going to squirt fuel all over everyone. No, you, it's literally impossible for you to do that. Okay. If you do so, do it, you are a saint. Don't, don't so I have to wait till I grow up to squirt fuel all over everyone. Okay. <laughs> don't, Scott says, don't say it's impossible. <laughs> you can always have like a, a fuel filling it up with like battery powered fuel pump or something and then like turn around. I was going to say, yeah. And just have it I, I can always you do can it with the fuel pump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can yeah, squirt people with the fuel pump. Exactly. Yeah. Can you light nitro fuel on fire and then squirt it at people? No? Is that a thing? <laughs> I have that. I haven't tried lighting nitro fuel on on fire. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's pretty volatile stuff. So it's frowned upon. I was going to say, actually, stupid question. If you were to pour just a little puddle of nitro on a table, is it flammable? It is. Yeah. It burns funny colors. Yeah. Okay. I think it's got some green Um, in there and everything like that. So, but like, is it hard to put out like, you know, like gasoline, if you're not careful, that stuff will get messy in a hurry. You know what I'm saying? Is it kind of the same thing with nitromethane? I don't yeah. know. I, I, I've never really I don't experimented know. with trying to set myself on fire, Rob. Yeah. No, I'm just saying if there's an accident, you got a newbie <laughs> sitting there and they spill their fuel and they're like, oh shit, and something happens. I mean, you know, I imagine I it know. would be close to gasoline. I mean, gasoline, if you light it on fire, just, it's not very good for starting fires because once the gasoline burns off, then it's, it's gone. It's yeah. gone. I imagine yeah. nitromethane would be close to the same thing. Yeah, it, where it, it, it burns weird pretty too. quick. Yeah, like it, it, it's either funny colored or sometimes clear. Like, remember that scene in Ricky yeah. Bobby yeah. when when he's like, "I'm on fire," and they're like, "You're not on fire, Ricky Bobby." Oh yeah, because the flames are invisible with with you know yeah. methanol and stuff like that and different yeah, yeah. alcohol burning chemicals. Um, so I mean, I, I lit on fire when I was a kid, like sixth grade, you know, ten years old or whatever. I'd like pour it out. I had some old car fuel and I'd light it on fire, and you'd see the the air like ripple kind of like you know heat comes off things you see the air kind of ripple and, and move yeah yeah it did that a little bit but it wasn't like gasoline where it like raging exploded like woof, you know yeah, what i like mean orange fire you don't see any yeah, of that kind not of stuff quite yeah. the same. Um, yeah. it doesn't seem as as explosive as gasoline it just burns yeah so back to fuel tubing for a second obviously no crazy sharp 90 degree bends or anything but doesn't really matter the direction you run the fuel tubing. Like, if there's no best practices, like it shouldn't go above a certain elevation or, or anything, sort of for there's no gravity feeding going on, right? It's all pressure based. So, no. yeah. Because you see the way we fly, gravity's all over the place. Yeah, that's true. But okay. one thing to keep in mind is don't run it too close to anything super hot. Um, so, don't run it out right next to the pipe. Don't run it around the manifold, uh, the exhaust header, anything like that. Stay away from the engine as much as you can. Uh, and then just come right into the carb because the carb's relatively cool. Air, the fuel's flowing through the carb, the air's flowing through the carb, keeping it cooler than the rest of the motor. If you run fuel tubing and go once around the head, then to the carb, you're going to start boiling off the fuel in the lines before it gets to the carb, and you're going to have tuning issues. Okay. That is true. Yep. I don't know, um, right. Scott, for in Nick's case here, when he does the muffler pressure line, does SAB have a grommeted hole in it to run it to the tank, or or do they not have that? Is it just running it between the flames? Because I don't remember. Um, depends what model it is, but no. Okay. Um, especially not for the the pressure. They do offer a grommet in the front of the frame that takes it from the clunk to the carb, though. Okay, yeah. Yeah, actually, Chris Moss, a uh, buddy of mine I fly with in Atlanta, was showing me that he actually added one to his frame, drilled a little hole in the frame, and... Uh... 
put a grommet in and get in a nice clean uh, method of running the fuel tubing. All right. What about the throttle linkage? Do we put springs on those? Is that a thing? No, don't be a bitch. Yeah. Again, I've said it so many times. No one's heard a good story about, oh, I crashed my nitro and my throttle return spring saved it. Whoop-dee-doo. But everybody's heard a story that I've roasted my shit on the ground in the chicken dance for 30 minutes and we all tried to stop it and chase it. So don't be a bitch. Be yep. a legend. I mean, I'll be lame to save money. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but <laughs> Maybe I don't know, man. What are you going to save? It already went in. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and depending true. on what servos you use, the size of the spring has to be so big to overcome the servo that it's actually get they'll get the servos warm and hot on some occasions. Because to actually yeah. move the servo when it's not powered, it needs to have a lot of force. So you're kind of doing yourself a negative anyway by getting your servo nice and toasty. Yeah, yeah that's no, that, that actually convinces me more than don't be a bitch. <laughs> 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 oh, man. I so used many people to. are really going to see my helicopter, right? Like, I can be a bitch in, in, in quiet and peace. Oh, come on. Myself. You'll have great stories if you don't run it. I have a great one. Scott remembers it to this day. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. awesome. It was a gasser. Well, the gasser did. Oh, I love one, gasser but, death. But you do remember the Synergy N7 that I exploded in a chicken dance too, don't you? Uh, I don't think so. At Spring Fling? Oh, it was yeah. great. It chicken danced for a good like five minutes, and then the clutch, think... the clutch exploded and flew across the field. I was in oh, there. Dang. Jason Bell was there though. The clutch yeah. almost killed Jason. Yeah, the clutch was red hot when it exploded and yeah, would sizzle and bubble so and bubbles. Yeah, that's the story. Yeah, like, just think, if Yikes. you had a clutch spring, I wouldn't remember that event. Exactly. <laughs> just like it might, the gasser, if if it, that didn't happen, would you remember that event? It just would have been a flop. It's like, oh, yeah, he crashed his gasser. Yeah. But now I'll remember that till the day I die. Yeah, because it just exploded in the air. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> it chicken danced before it hit the ground. It was oh, like, yeah. <laughs> all the way down. Yeah, the 50 feet that it fell, all you hear is, and then it hit the ground, and you're nice. just watching it do circles and shit like that. I'm like, well, fuck, that motor's oh, toast. That was great. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, was, uh, it was interesting. So I'm just trying to think through my head, like, what have we not addressed here? And the first thing that popped into my, well, the only thing that popped into my mind was, what about the bolts that were when you mount the motor into the into the motor mount like those bolts i'm assuming like loctite obviously the motor gets hot but loctite there yes no yeah okay. i do is there any sort of like special alignment when you're bolting the motor into the frame i mean you have to align it with the clutch at least if okay. you have depending on what style you have i mean you would still have to do it with an sab of course i think nope. yeah it would make no nope because it's all mounted to the motor oh that and is then true. It's driven off a belt, so it's really okay. Pretty so in your in your case, you don't really have to worry about that. But if anyone's running a clutch bell that's separate, where the clutch shoe is mounted to the motor with the fan, and then you have the clutch bell in the heli, you have to align the shoe to the bell. So yes, you do have to do that. And that alignment process is that just getting an even gap all the way around, and then a good gap no. at the top, just until it doesn't rub anymore, is what I do when it's run smooth. Tighten it up. Make sure it still runs smooth after you tighten it, and you're good. What I normally do, because that involves starting the engine, what you're talking about, I believe. Yeah. What? 
yours when you're talking no, about it, Robin. No, well, no, I just put it in the heli, and if you can't turn the clutch shoe when you're building the heli, obviously it's fucked up. Oh, okay. What I normally do is I'll put the engine in, and I'll kind of bolt the engine in, not super tight, but it's in there. And then if it's got an adjustable clutch stack, uh, which most do, slides back and forth and stuff, um, I'll leave that somewhat loose. And what I do is I get it to the point Devin's talking about, and I will also get my starter motor, and I'll turn the engine over. So I'll pull the plug out and stuff so it turns relatively free, but you know I'll, I'll, I'll bump it over a bunch of times and then run it. And as I'm running the clutch around, I'll tighten up the clutch tank uh, to make sure that everything's free spinning and aligned as I do it. And then when I'm done with that, I'll double check that the uh, starter cup can rotate nice and freely in the one-way bearing, and it doesn't seem like it's dragging. Oh yeah, I'm that's... sure you've noticed. Sometimes it's free, sometimes it drags. Yeah. Um, yeah. Make sure it's it's beautiful and free, so you know it's all lined up nice inside of that one-way bearing in the clutch shoe. Uh, once you've done that, you're pretty much set. Yeah. Tighten everything down. You're good. Yep. I basically do the same thing, but I just turn the bell by hand. I, I, I turn the physical bell by hand to make sure it stays aligned, and I just do it by hand without running over the motor. Oh, power tools. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, big man. Ooh. <laughs> no. doesn't know Tim the tam- tool man Taylor. Yeah. I know, right? Uh, he was actually one of the children in that series. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ouch. So... Without getting into motor tuning or anything that happens during the maiden, but like, what are any of the pitfalls you guys remember from your first nitro builds when you didn't really know what you were doing? Like, what are the like most common mistakes beginner nitro builders make? I can Not tell you tuning, what I did. I can tell you what I did. Okay. Hey, Dad, and it was fixed. <laughs> yeah, oh, but that didn't hurt anything, right? No, I did that initially just for the first nitro, and then after we got it flying, is when he would show me everything. But um, when it comes to that, I had it once, and this is why I started checking it every time early on. When I got a motor from the factory, usually the motors are set at a factory needle setting, which is like two and a, which is like two and a half on the main on an OS and like one and three quarters on the mid. And the main was completely closed. And yeah. Yeah. See you later. Yeah. Always. I don't. I don't care if it's a brand new motor from the factory, make sure your needles are set where they're supposed to be. I'm pretty yeah. sure if you don't know in the manual, it'll say where they're supposed to be open to. Mm-hmm. So just look at the manual. You can go based off that and you're good. And if you buy a YS, they tell you the wrong number in the manual. So don't go based on that. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I have. Nice. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> For a YS 91, I believe it applies to a 96 and a 120 as well. Don't quote me on a 120, never owned one of those things. But on the 91, I think the manual says one and a quarter or something ridiculous. It's two and a half turns out on both needles. And that'll actually fly that way and it'll fly pretty well. Uh, and then start to lean from there. But two and a half turns every single time, every motor. One thing also, check your regulator and one way works before you try and start the engine or fly. Everyone says, oh, you know, YS regulators are set from the factory. Sure, absolutely, if you like having a leaky engine or uh, no fuel in your, your carb. So um, one of the first things I do with those two is I'll, I'll pop that little glue off and I'll, I'll check that the, the, um, the diaphragm is working correctly and it's actually set to the point that it either doesn't let fuel through when it should and lets fuel through when it, sh- 
what am I saying? Doesn't let fuel through when it shouldn't and does let fuel, fuel through when it should. Uh, because I have had so many of those that have been misadjusted. So now, that is, is that as simple as a diaphragm being backward? Because I've never had a YS regulator apart. No, uh, it's just too open or too closed. The way it works is it has this little threaded tube that goes into it that allows fuel to pass through. Okay. Um, and it's either too far in or too far out. And the way that it seals the end and unseals it is it has this little thing that pivots. Uh, it doesn't like move directly away from the tube or directly towards the tube. So if it's not adjusted correctly, it actually starts to push on that little flap and it opens a flap or closes a flap. If you imagine it pivots from one side, like a, like a, a cap on a diesel exhaust. You ever see those on like yeah. a tractor that flaps up and down? So if you imagine if you go too far in, it starts to open it. Or if you too, go too far out, it starts to open the other way on the top versus the bottom. You know yeah. what I mean? So you have to find that sweet spot where it's nice and flat on it and makes a nice seal. Um, normally I do it just blowing air through it and I adjust that valve and I touch the, um, the little flap, spring-loaded flap on the inside. I take the regulator off to do it. Okay. Uh, yeah. But you get it to the point that it's a nice crisp stop and a nice crisp start when you uh, actuate it and then you're good to go. Um, okay. I think I've had like three of them be set right from the factory and like six of them not. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I've never had one. I have the OS ones apart all the time. All the yeah. time. But a little easier to do OS. Well, yeah, because usually the OS ones are, it's just dirt that got in the regulator. You take the, the little flap that they have out, blow through them, and they then clean it out with some fuel, and it, they work yeah. again. It's They're really simple. Yeah, did I say it was easier for OS or YS? It was easier for OS. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a lot easier to work on an OS one because yeah. I've never had a YS one apart, though, so I don't know too much. <laughs> yeah, if you're new to Nitro, buy an OS, period. <laughs> yeah, true. Right on. Okay, so I had one question that we got sent to us after our first Nitro episode about what to buy. And it's kind of funny, actually. The one thing we didn't talk about like how to buy is actually nitro fuel. Uh, so I had a question from a listener that said, where do we buy our fuel from? So for the average Joe anywhere in the United States, what's the best advice on where they should buy their helicopter nitro fuel from? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, it's uh, different. Yeah, because it used to be really easy. And now nitro fuel can actually be pretty hard to get if you don't know the right people. Yeah, it- you need to it depends where you live too yeah like the guys in alabama uh, i think they have cool power real close yes so they usually have do, you yeah. know a bunch of guys that group buy cool power and get a bunch of that stuff cheap some clubs get arrangements with fuel brands so rcho has an arrangement with vp where they ship in a 55 gallon drum and they get that at a discounted rate per gallon obviously because they don't have to bottle it and everything and it's just easy but it's only available to club members so they can't sell it outside the club you know what i mean I'm trying to think of what else you get some some yahoos that make their own fuel I'm not pointing any fingers i wonder who um, that is i don't know <laughs> and then maybe you'll find uh you know the odd guy here and there that that stocks in a hobby store which is pretty rare but it can happen yeah um you can buy it in stores like a main uh and heli direct but typically if you do that you're going to be paying almost double because of hazmat and shipping so if you're lucky enough to live around charlotte a main headquarters allows local pickup so you can buy you know a case of fuel and go pick it up and it's not a problem you don't have to pay the hazmat yeah um uh, i would say the next 
thing is if you're active in the heli community and you're going to events, there are some people that, like Scott said, will do group orders in other areas. You, I would hop on those because you're also getting a discounted rate if you order over like 10 or 15 cases or something like that. And the hazmat doesn't hurt as much as a group order. So definitely, it that's almost one of the best ways to go besides if you live by the hobby stores that carry it. So it's... It's kind of hard to find nitro fuel nowadays. It used to be really easy. You could walk into any hobby store, any any hobby store, private owned or or anything like Amy and Heli, and you would be able to just get it. And now you actually have to kind of go hunt for it. So that's kind of really hard. Yeah, yeah, that was like the best thing about my childhood. I remember walking into Pegasus Hobbies, grabbing a gallon of fuel, buying it, and flying the shit out of it. Like that's just memories and this the smell of it too. Loved it. Yep. <laughs> And some fun flies too, like Urcha, for example. I know some of the vendors will bring a bunch of nitro to sell. I don't know about yeah, other fun flies that do that too, but that's another way. Yeah, Urcha's a big one that they, they tend to bring. They don't bring a shit ton of fuel anymore. Like back, like probably five years ago, they would bring a crap ton of nitro fuel, so much nitro fuel. And now they only bring like maybe 10, 15 cases at the most for the week. It's not a lot. It used yeah. to be a pallet. They would bring in like a pallet of nitro and you'd watch people walk up there and grab like four cases of fuel at a time and walk away. So mm-hmm. it's just it's just a different atmosphere. You have to... It, your be- the best bet is to definitely find someone that's a dealer or has some kind of dealer arrangement where they can get it from the factory and usually they get it at a discounted price if they buy a certain amount of fuel. So, so it won't hurt you as much. So you got to work it out, Nick, uh, for your guys down at Atlanta RC to get the barrel deal. And then you guys just have a barrel for the club. Yeah, well, we've got Alabama where you can get cool power from. It's still not inexpensive, not like anywhere, right. but uh, we're, we're working on a, a long drive uh, round trip to go basically pick up a bunch while we're going. So uh, as, a, as a club or crew, uh, we tend to try and, and get together that way, but. All right, man. I feel uh, I feel ready to start building at this point. I feel like I have a, I know just enough to be dangerous and still make a catastrophic mistake. Um, but I feel a lot better than I did before tonight. I feel like I got a fighting chance. I am going to bring in some help as I go through my build once I get to the actual nitro components, just to double check my work. But uh, I don't know. Thanks, guys. I feel uh, I feel empowered to get started, which is awesome. I hope. Uh, so this has hopefully helped some other folks who are considering Nitro to feel like they understand a little more about it so they can make a better decision on if it's for them or not. But uh, I don't know. Thanks, man. That was, that was cool. Dude, yeah, that was great. I learned a lot. I didn't really contribute anything at all. I was just sitting here <laughs> listening and learning. And yeah, there's so many, I, like every probably five, six minutes, I'd have a question and I would just wait. And then one of you two would just answer that question. It was perfect. Nice. Sick. We're useful for something. Ha ha. Ha ha, yes. About time, Devin, right? <laughs> yeah, right? That's how I feel. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's people that- yelling at the radios right now going, no, that's not how you do it. Yeah, we're both <laughs> getting screamed at right now. Oh, completely. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. They are so wrong. Okay, thank you. We all have yeah. our different opinions, and it works for everybody. So Yeah, we we acknowledge you know not everybody does things the same way. This is one of those deals where there's more than one way to skin a cat, but this is just what we do. Or these yeah, guys we should do. ask. And, uh, we should ask everyone if they do something different. Yeah, shoot us a message yeah. right in our Facebook wall. Tell us what yeah. you do different than what we do. 
Yeah, absolutely. Share your nitro build tips for that matter. Like, what did we miss? What What do you want to share that that's worked for you? Um, yeah. By all means, I'll put a, a post up for sure, and uh, let's get some conversation going there. I got to say one thing that I learned here that's a good takeaway, like a confidence booster for me, and considering maybe getting into nitro, is that although we covered a lot of stuff in this episode, and just if you glaze over it, it seems like it's complicated because there's a bunch of things. But one of the things I learned underneath all of this is that there's a, quite a bit more, I guess, flexibility than I thought. There's two, we got two guys here that are doing things different ways. They're getting their helis to fly at high performance. We've got listeners, I'm sure, that have variations of all kinds of different ways to make these things fly and fly well. So it doesn't have to be this mysterious labyrinth of decisions that only have to be made one way, you know? And so. That's reassuring for me, I think. So thanks for the feedback, guys. That's cool. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all good. All right, I mean, so next up in the Nitro series. Sorry, go ahead, Devin. I was going to say, I mean, when it, when it comes to this um, style, like this portion of building a Nitro, it's a little bit easier because there are different ways to do everything, but at the same time, you're building a heli, so it's more similar than a lot of people think it would be. Every Everybody may have a little bit different of a technique to it, but at the end of it, most of us are doing the same thing when it comes to building it. So yeah. that's why if, like me and Scott tonight, we actually, we actually do, a, I didn't realize this, how much we actually do in common that's very similar to each other. And um, I mean, yeah, and sure. it's because there's there's, even though there's so many ways to do it, Usually, when at the end of the day, you're still building a nitro helicopter and and building a helicopter, so the techniques don't vary as much as it did, like what we were talking about the last episode. And I think we're all shooting for the same end goal. You know, yeah. we we need the same out of it. So there's there's a million ways to do things, but you and I use a helicopter very similarly as far as what we use them for. Yes. So I feel like that kind of narrows down the options for what we can do. Yeah. Yeah, that's better set for sure. Yeah, and I, and I think too, you you choose your mentors if you're new to nitro, and obviously Devin, you're trained by your dad, who's got a lot of years of nitro experience. Scott, you've been in the game since you were a kid, and I'm also working with Tom Shin, who's been at it a long time as well. And I tend to hear the same thing from all three of you, honestly, with some slight variations. So that tells me that uh, you know. These are the people to listen to. So yes, there's different ways to do it, but you know, choose the person close to you who you can lean on for help and reach out to and follow their methods is honestly my advice. If they're different than ours, but they're close to you and they're going to give you help and they have years of experience, then you know, they're probably smart too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she said a great point there, uh, you know, choosing who you listen to. And I think I said it before in one of these episodes, choose who you listen to based on how they fly. So if you got a guy that flies mild sport or hovers and flies nitro, he's going to have wildly different advice than someone who flies smack on the deck or aggressive, you know, technical 3D with a nitro. Right. For sure. Not to mention the motor might not have to be tuned at a certain level. Like you guys probably have to tune your, you tune your motors all the way up to the end. You know what I'm saying? But guys that fly, you know, Nick, you fly quite a bit tamer than Scott and Devin does, you know, so you've got all kinds of headroom to breathe when you're setting that thing up. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, tuning does play a really big part. Well, flying plays a big part in how you tune a motor, too. I'm sorry. Scott, you've done this all the time because I know how many people you help. But in, even in my experience, sometimes 
you have people that will ask you like, hey, I can't get this tune on this motor. Can you help me out? And sometimes it can be really difficult to tune because you got to tune to their flight style. So like when I tune my motor, I actually tend to run my motors a bit richer than anyone else because I can get them hotter. Yes. So, and everyone, and then I'll have some people, oh, tune it like you tune yours. And well, if I tune it like I tune mine, it's just, it's kind of going to be a dog all the time because the, yeah, motor, yeah. the motor doesn't get hot enough to, to really use that fuel that you're giving it. Now, mm-hmm. if, if I go and fly it, it looks like it's running great, which it is. But again, it, it's, you tune to flight style. At least I do when I tune a motor. I'm sure you do as well, Scott. Absolutely. And set up too, whether you're running straight curves or governor. Yes. So it really matters how you fly, especially in the nitro aspect of tuning, because if you don't fly super aggressive, you you tune the heli completely different to how me and Scott are going to tune our nitros. Because we can both, and anyone that's seen Scott fly knows how hard he can fly and how hot he can get a motor. We both tend to run, I imagine, I haven't seen Scott tune in a little bit because, you know, electric. Um, <laughs> but we both tend to run our motors significantly more richer than Nick. You will have to, you could tune yeah. your motors a little more out and, a and a little bit leaner than us because it's just, it's not getting as hot. You don't need that cooling aspect of the fuel. Yeah. And it's funny. That's actually a conversation Tom Shin and I have been having, which is like, how do I get less head speed out of nitro versus the opposite of some, which are like, how do I get more out of it? Whereas I tend to prefer lower head speed and I'm, and I'm happier there. But anyway, these are all conversations and this is a good segue that we'll have in future Nitro episodes as we get into this. Um, certainly good to give a little tease here, but sort of the, the progression of Nitro episodes, at least in my mind, and you know, obviously we're going to shape them as a group, but the next episode is sort of what's next, right? We've built the helicopter, but now we need to work on a successful maiden and then we yeah, need to work on basics of tuning. And then obviously that's going to start a conversation about flight styles and nitro tuning that we just touched on, uh, taking that further. And then I think from there, we're going to have to get into nitro troubleshooting because that's obviously a a big part of uh, flying nitro as well. So I don't know how many more episodes that's going to equal, you know, maybe two or three, maybe four. Who knows? Depends how the conversations go. But uh, all of that in the future, we're not we're not going to do these week after week after week. We're going to break this up with uh, some other guests and other conversations and topics in between. But uh, certainly there's plenty more to come on the Nitro front uh, this year from RCHN. Yeah, So with that, I think that's going to wrap it up for episode 32, Nitro Part 2. Dan, uh, after he gets back from uh, roasting his pasty white legs in the Caribbean, can be reached (laughs) at dan at rchnv3.com. Uh, you can hit me up at nickwisdom at rchnv3.com or on Facebook at nickwisdomrc. Uh, Devin, if folks want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? Um, Devin McClellan on Facebook or Devin at rchnv3.com. And Scott, are you, have you come out of your turtle shell or are you still hiding like a hermit? I mean, I installed Facebook again. You can get me there if you must. Um <laughs> I guess you can email me at scott at rchnv3.com. I am checking my email right now, and I have an email from January 21st, 2023. So I'm reading that just now. <laughs> <laughs> Getting caught up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Keeping up with emails. Uh, all four of them. <laughs> Sounds like uh, Scott wants more mail. 
No, I, I mean, I don't mind if you contact me, but I'm not the best at responding, but I'll try. If you actually <laughs> get my attention somehow through like Messenger or Facebook or texting me or something, uh, I will always respond. But sometimes I just miss things. I'm sorry. Yeah, happens to the best of us. All right, and lastly, Rob, if uh, someone wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Hmm. Well, wouldn't you like to know? Huh? Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, since we learned that you are way more baller, apparently, than we thought, and you have a well, automatic gate, Wi-Fi gate action going on, what I suggest is that you go on the internet and get yourself a Flipper Zero, and then go war drive around Nick's property there until you find the uh, the key for his Wi-Fi gate there. Then just use your little cyber buddy there and open and close his gate. Um, but before you do that, what you want to do is take your trusty Sharpie and uh, post-it note. Write your question on the post-it note and just go stick it on the corner of the gate. And then just open and close it and open and close it. Either he'll get a text from his wife saying, hey, the gate's acting funky. And he'll tell her to go check it because he can't make it stop. Or if he's home, like he is now, he can just go out there and check it. And he'll find this note and he'll be like, aha, I see what happened. And he might either tell me what the message is or he might be upset that I, I breached the perimeter um, remotely uh, via your question. Um, but if you don't know what a Flipper Zero is, you're afraid of digital dolphins, um, or you don't want to go to Atlantic, um, then you could just email me at rob at rchnv3.com. Uh, hit me up on Facebook, NextGenRCFB, um, Instagram at NextGenRC, or YouTube.com slash NextGenRC. Boom. All right, this has been episode 32. As always, thanks for listening. We appreciate all the uh, support. Thanks for all the messages uh, we've gotten in Dan's absence um saying we're doing all right without him but uh we're all certainly anxiously awaiting his return and looking forward to it uh with that uh thanks for listening all and uh we'll catch you next week